בשם השם נעשה ונצליח. שיעור תורה. Great to be here back at the Breslov Center, Baruch Hashem. Glad everybody's okay. A few people missing some electric, but otherwise everybody's okay. Um, it was an eventful uh, few days. It was an eventful few days seeing uh, Hashem choose where damage is going to go, where there's going to be miracles, who is going to get a wake-up call and do tshuva, who's going to wake up call, who's going to get a wake-up call and do nothing, stay the same rasha. Who is going to see the hand above that's created the storm and who's going to create a new god called Irma and blame the storm or what they call Mother Nature, whoever this Mother Nature is. So, Baruch Hashem, it's a... Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Amazing seeing all this stuff. I mean, again, uh, we don't like to see people get hurt. We don't like seeing people uh, even get stressed out. But um, for anyone that uh, went through the storm on a personal level, you know, if you didn't do tshuva, then you should know one thing before we start the questions and then the lecture, Bezat Hashem. If you didn't do tshuva, you should know that this storm, this storm, was not even a tiny malach, was not even a tiny little angel that Hashem has. And at the end of the days, when Mashiach comes, when Gogu Magog starts or spreads further than what it is right now, the Gemara says a lot of things are going to happen at the end of times. One of them is going to be war, Another thing, it's going to be a change of the face of the generation, a generation of chutzpanim, chutzpatis gay, rude people, people with no manners, which we already have seen for already the last generation, uh, just getting worse. But also you're going to have strange things happening around the world. Kolot, ruchot, you have strange sounds around the world, strange uh, natural disasters, and now we have Another storm that people are scared of called Jose. Uh, interestingly, in Hebrew, Jose, Gimatria is 26. Same thing as God. Same thing as God. So, uh, it's telling us that uh, God's behind all of it. God's behind all of it. But uh, we have right now Shio number 62 in the series, Musar Pekavot series. Baruch Hashem, this series has been a uh, breakthrough. A lot of people have been doing tshuva. Several people have actually converted already. Uh, many more are in the process of converting due to this, mamash, this series. Um, whether it's someone that was uh, surrounded and infected by idolatry, or it's someone that just lived a life with no purpose whatsoever, they start watching shurim, and ishtabach shimolad, they start seeing the truth, because the truth is a lot more realistic. The truth is a lot more realistic. It's a lot harder because reality is more difficult than uh, Fantasy Island. But uh, even the people on Fantasy Island know that eventually they have to come back to reality. So this year is going to have a few things uh, that I'll mention aside from answering your questions, Bezal Hashem. A few recent successes, 
with regards to the uh, wig situation, several of the other things that have been going on, Baruch Hashem, behind the scenes. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Parashat Shavua, some things about the Pirkei uh, Avot, uh, but this is most likely, uh, not definite, but most likely the last year of the year in this place. Uh, because I believe that uh, next week um, the uh, Shio is going to be, it, it's, it would be Tuesday, that's the day before Rosh Hashanah, and it's very unlikely for us to do a Shio in that day, not necessarily because of the Rosh Hashanah issue, but because I'm moving. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure if we'll be able to make it all in time. It's not the shame, obviously everyone will know. Uh, at the, uh, we'll try to do something uh, before Rosh Hashanah, before this, but we have a Shio tomorrow night, also around here. Uh, in Adi's house, anyone that wants to come to the shiur has to do a RSVP. We had a, uh, people come to, um, last time we did a shiur there uh, a few weeks ago, that didn't RSVP and the people at the gate didn't let them in. So, I mean, there's nothing I can do. I'm in the middle of a shiur. I didn't even know it happened until after the shiur. So anyone that wants to go uh, come to that shiur has to RSVP. So the flyer that we have online... Uh, there's an email, you could email, it's our email, and uh, you could um, RSVP to tell that you're coming. It's mamash, it's instead of making a left when you get on the exit, get off the exit 16, you make a right, two minutes, three minutes, and you'll get there. Again, it's going to be a very different shiur. But uh, in case this is the uh, last shiur of the year uh, here, then we have to finish out with a bang. We have, to, uh, we have to leave all the cards on the table. We have to make sure that uh, there's nothing missing. So Bezat Hashem, we'll have the schut to, uh, to do that. So let's start off with uh, some questions. You raised your hand. Uh, go. Uh-huh. Ken. Ah, it's a chutzpah to answer questions or do anything, really, uh, during a shiur, either live or on the phone, during a shiur. It's a good question. Okay. Next. We have to connect it to the shiur. We have to connect it to the Mishnah and Avot. No? Not allowed to live by the water? Torah says you're not allowed to live by the water. It's not true. Because uh, throughout all of history, you had to live by the water simply for survival. You didn't always have plumbing. You didn't always have plumbing. Plumbing is a recent invention, relatively. So if you didn't live by the water, most likely you didn't live. You need water to survive. Understand? So throughout all of history, you'll see that uh, all of the civilizations, not just the Jewish people, all of the civilizations have always predominantly lived close to the water, close to a body of water, um, and uh, because it's necessary for survival. Only recently did people start going, meaning recently, not like uh, 50 years, recently the last couple of hundred years, did people start living in the middle of the uh, land uh, because of plumbing. But even today, there are many parts of uh, the world, in the United States also, 
that, uh, you know, where you have uh, villages in middle America, and there's no plumbing. And there's no, uh, tr you know, traditional, what you're used to and I'm used to, uh, the sanitation system. So, for example, in uh, Tennessee, uh, where my in-laws used to live, uh, they used to have to take the garbage to the dump once, twice, you know, a week themselves. Like, there was no garbage truck that came to them. Now, here, you guys can't even think of such a thing. In New York, it's not even a thought. The garbage is right next to the apartment on the 35th floor. You walk down the hall, you put it in the chute, it goes, shh, it goes down 35 stories. Somebody else takes care of it. Somebody else's problem. Same thing here. You have a house, you have an apartment. Somebody else, you put it outside. Somebody else takes care of it. In this place in Tennessee, in many places around middle America, you have to take your garbage to the sanitation. That's also part of the reason why they have trucks. They have uh, the pickup trucks. They put it, well, you don't want to put it in a Mercedes Benz. $150,000 car, you're going to put the garbage, your disgusting garbage in the back seat? Can't. So, so the, uh, the plumbing, sanitation system, and what cities, what city people like you and I are used to is not uh, really everywhere. Um, but as far as plumbing is concerned, plumbing is everywhere. Uh, again, not to the same extent, but either way, um, this expansion, if you will, uh, into middle America, into different parts of the world that don't have water only started in recent history uh, because you need water to survive. So even though 70% of the world, or oh, 72% of the world uh, is water, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to reach all corners. There are different places uh, in the world that don't have water. So if it's going to take you two, three days to get water every time you got to get a drink, it's not a good place to live. So there's no, the Torah doesn't say don't live next to water. Uh, what you could tell them is that you're not allowed to put yourself in danger, meaning you're not allowed to live in a place where it's dangerous. Uh, so, for example, if a place is known uh, to have, uh, you know, regular tsunamis or it's on a cliff or something like that, sure, yeah, you're not allowed to live in a place that's dangerous. But next to water, no, it's, uh, somebody made that up. Ken. Supermarket overcharging people? Ken. Supermarket overcharging on storm. Ken. Supercharge, supermarket overcharging. Ken, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to gouge uh, price gouge people. Aside from it being illegal, uh, and therefore you're not allowed to do things that are illegal for the country that you live in. You're not allowed to disobey the law, uh, unless the law contradicts the Torah. But this doesn't contradict the Torah. Uh, but aside from that, in uh, in regards to uh, price gouging, it's chilul Hashem. So Chilul Hashem is a problem for them because we learned a couple of weeks ago about Chilul Hashem is that Hashem punishes in this world about Chilul Hashem. But a big part of the punishment is in this world. So you don't really have to report them. You don't have to report them because Hashem already knows. He already puts it in the, he puts it in the record. Is it better not to shop there? It depends. If you have a better option, then go to a different better option. If it's the only kosher place in town, then obviously then you have to shop there. So it's a, you know, it depends. 
can't just by default sell it because the guy is a jerk. Uh, I'm not going to eat kosher food anymore. If there's a few, then you shop somewhere else. Yeah. Why give business to a rasha? Why give business to a rasha? If the guy is a rasha, don't give him any business. No, next. Go. About a tree. About a tree. Okay. Okay, trees. What about the trees? What's the question about the trees? Trees, what do you do with trees? If you're allowed to take them out, rip them out, or not? Doesn't matter the size. Allowed to rip out a tree or not? Yes. Right? That's the question? Okay. Okay. But when it comes to their family members, health-wise, not there, and that person always asks for the help, but there's a lot of things, but the help... He's not getting it yet. Good. Right. Why? Why doesn't, he, why doesn't Hashem give you everything you want? He just gives you some of the things. Why? We're going to need a new pen. My pen's not working today. Why doesn't Hashem give you everything? Not just some, everything. Hey, no, it's what's, come on, we've we got to talk to Hashem right now. We have Judgment Day coming up. we got to know how to talk to Hashem. Thank you. It's going to be his Everything. Everything we want. Not just some things. Everything. Your, your pen is worse than mine. So I don't think it's the pen. I think it's my, uh, my pad over here. I think it's my pad. Plus, I think the Yetzirah uh, doesn't want me to answer these questions. Yeah, no, no, it's working now. It's working now. It's working. It's working, not working. It's fine. All right. Yetzal doesn't want me to answer your questions today. He says, you guys weren't supposed to be here today. It was supposed to be closed with the storm. Irma. Irma was supposed to ruin it. Why doesn't Hashem give us everything? Everything. Remember, everything. This has to be connected to the Shior sometimes. Somehow. Okay, New Yala, five. Questions, questions, questions. You didn't study. Actually, no, instead of your question, I wrote Hashem Melechem. <laughs> no, so the question is... By default. During this money, like this, when you have no life, no AC, are you obligated to study like usual? No, you get a... Okay, so I have to write six. It's, I wrote Hashem Melechem already, so I have to make up something for Hashem Melechem. Uh, so, no studying. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no studying. Are you obligated to study during hard times? Are you obligated to study on hard times? Okay. No obligation to study. When are you obligated to study? No, okay, Allah. We got, uh, so far we got six. Six. No, let's go for uh, six or we got more? Ten. Fidel, usually you have something for me. Nothing? You studied a lot the last couple of days. You're content. You see, you're happy. Somebody that's happy has to study Torah. You know why you have so many questions? Because you didn't study. Fidel studied the last couple of days. That's what happens. Iced tea in a can. Iced tea, no echshel. Iced tea, what do you do if you drink iced tea with no kosher? Should you be worried? 
Yes. Yes. No eksher without kosher. A big brand, no kosher. So big brand means what? So you drank iced tea without kosher, should you be worried? That's what you're telling me. But Sarah, no? Okay, okay. To what extent, you know, you consider your interaction with them or the exchange with them consider, um, profiting from Avodah Okay, Avodah Zarah people. Okay, nine. Meditation, Abu Dazara. How did Hashem's name come to be in meditation? No, I mean, they're making a sound. They don't intend for it for it to be God. But, okay, meditation, Abu Dazara. They don't know. They just make a sound. It's like, you know, it's like a little baby makes a sound and it makes a word sometimes. They don't, they don't do it intentionally. Go ahead. Last one. You could ask more, I mean, after, but. How do you get from Yirat Shemaim to Ava? To Ava. Okay, so the questions are. Uh, is it chutzpah, is it rude to answer questions on a thread, the Facebook thread that everyone, all the tzaddikim are watching right now, or for you guys to answer each other's questions with a text message during a shiur? What do we do with a supermarket uh, owner that's a rasha and overcharges? I think I already answered that one, but... Um, uh, what do you do with trees? Can you rip them out? Can you, uh, do you have to keep them? Why doesn't Hashem give us everything we ask? Everything, not just some things, everything. Uh, five is Hashem Yerachem. Six is uh, study obligations. Are we obligated to study during difficult times? Seven, iced tea without echshel. What happens? What happens if I drank iced tea with no kosher sign? Eight avodah people associating with them. What do we do with them? Nine meditation uh, connecting to avodah And ten, how do we get from yirat shemaim to avat Hashem? You would think you guys were all in my house and you wrote a shiur and prepared it. Hashem. בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, אדוני שפתי תפתח ופי יגיד תהילתך.
for the people online, I know you like to ask questions. Uh, I can't really scroll on the uh, screen. Um, but uh, I'm hoping to do a sure uh, like we did last week, live, maybe on Thursday. Maybe Thursday night we'll do a questions and answers uh, session like we did last week, uh, right before the storm. So that's when I'll answer all of your questions. So don't get discouraged. Uh, but this should encourage you to show up if you can. But if you live in different parts of the world that you're not here, then you can enjoy the shiur. But I'm sure that if you have enough schut, I'll answer your questions too somehow. Because that's how Hashem works. He gives me something to say and some, has nothing to do with what I wanted to say. So, we have a lot going on. We have Parashat Nitzavim. It's one of the parashot that we are reading this week. Parashat Vayelech is the other one. We have a uh, Judgment Day next week. I did it before. Uh, we have Judgment Day next week in Rosh uh, Hashanah, Wednesday night, beginning Wednesday night. Uh, and Baruch Hashem, we have a, uh, some good news, some, develop, some things in the development. So, Baruch Hashem, a lot going on. Okay, so, in Parashat Nitzavim, Parashat Nitzavim, you can come in, by the way, if you want to uh, uh, sit over there. It's fine. Uh, Parashat Nitzavim, um, it's a short parasha, but it says an immense amount of messages for anyone that uh, looks into it, just the first couple of uh, verses give you uh, a lot of a lot of musal. So it says, "Atem nitzavim ayom kulchem, lifnei Adonai loechem rashechem shivtechem ziknechem veshotrechem, kol ish Yisrael, tapchem, yeshechem, vegercha, asher bekerem mechanecha." So here, Moshe Rabbeinu says, you're standing here today, all of you, all of you, not some of you, not the Ashkenazim only, not the Sephardim only, not the Yemenites only, not the Bukharians only, not the Syrians, not the Iraqi, not the guy from Tripoli, all of you. Standing before Hashem, your God, the heads of your tribe, your elders, and then he gives details. He says, in case you didn't get it, when I said all of you, because sometimes you say all of you, people automatically say, no, he means me. Me, he's just giving you guys credit because he, he feels bad, he's anav, he's very, he's got good manners, he's humble, but in reality, he's talking about me this whole lecture. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew people like that. He says, all of you, the heads of the tribe, top of the top, the ones that think they're the best. The elders, don't think it's just because you got old, you're patu, you don't have to do mitzvot anymore because you already paid your dues. You know, sometimes people get old, that listen, I'm already old already, it's not for me. You guys are young and strong, go, you could go to Beknesset. Older, you don't have to, you could pray once a week, it's enough. Hashem knows, because I'm old. Your officers, meaning the guys that are running the law, doesn't mean that they're above the law. Sometimes you see the biggest talker in the Beknesset is the Gabai. 
And if it's not the Gabai, who's he talking to? The rabbi. They think because they're the rabbi or the Gabai, they're allowed to talk. Everybody else has to be quiet. I went to a Beknesset like that. The biggest talker in the Beknesset was the rabbi. But he's not talking in secret. He's talking on stage. Everybody's playing. Tfilat Shmonai, he's talking. Tfilat Shmonai, so everybody's praying. He finished before everybody else. He's talking to somebody else about whatever he's saying. He's saying, <laughs> they're all laughing. I'm wondering myself, is he believing God, Bechlal? I'm not wondering, listen, does he realize he's interrupting prayer? Does he realize it's not good manners? Does he realize people can see him? He's on stage nonetheless. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just thinking simple question. Does he believe in God? That's it. Why? If you believe in God, that means you have to have one ounce, at least one ounce of Yerat Shemayim. If you have Yerat Shemayim, you have fear of the Almighty, how dare you speak in his Beknesset? Even more so, when you're the leader, when you're the police, you're the guy that's going to either create the biggest Kiddush Hashem or biggest Chilul Hashem. How can you talk in the Knesset? So he says, Shotrechem, all the men of Israel, you small children, just because they're a little small doesn't mean they can walk around putzot. You know, sometimes you have parents, they think, no, 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 she's only seven years old, she can walk around with underwear. And with a tank top. It's okay. No, my friend. Once a girl is three years old, she's three years old, you should know, it's Allah. Once she's three years old, she's already not allowed to be alone with a strange man in a room. Like you can't have a man babysitter to a three-year-old girl. Why? You don't know what kind of crazy people are out there. Well, you guys didn't hear stories? Am I the only one that doesn't live like under a rock? At three years old, she's not allowed to be alone with a strange man. A father, yes. A brother, yes. No problem. Neighbor, best friend, uncle. No, 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 my friend. Three years old. We're not talking about 12, 15, 21. No, no, three. Aside from that, you already have to dress your kids modest from birth. Obviously, the halacha is much more stringent once they're six years old. Once the girl's six years old. But many parents get the kids used to wearing tank tops or short dresses or these dresses that are pretty much a combination of like a short dress and a tank top. You know, these dresses that are barely any clothes at all. And they get the kids used to it and they get the kids used to this mentality of I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot. 5,000 years we weren't hot, now we're always hot, even though we have air conditioners. You never see in the Torah, Avraham Avinu say, ah, it's hot. Even though Hashem says it's the hottest day in history, he was recovering from Brit Milah. You don't see Avraham Avinu says, wow, it's so hot outside. You don't see that. You know, there's no verse in the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu saying in the desert, guys, you know what? Let's take a break from Shiu Torah. It's really hot. It's really, you don't see that. But here in this generation, everybody's hot. Everybody's hot. That's why no one wants to wear tzitzit. That's why no one wants to wear clothes. Everybody's hot. So when parents are putting their kids and let the kids walk around with no clothes on, you're creating a problem. And the reason why is because once the kid gets to six, seven, eight years old, and you tell, listen, honey, you have to start wearing long sleeves. You have to wear long dresses. You can't continue walking around like you did when you were three years old in a diaper. You can't. The kid's not going to want it. Why? Because she's used to it. It's going to take a little bit of an adjustment. Even though it's easy to adjust still while they're seven, eight years old, 
Still, why go through that nightmare? Get used to it already now, from the beginning. It's more difficult to find clothes, I know. Trust me, my wife deals with it also. But it is what it is. So he says, just because your kids are kids, doesn't mean that the laws don't apply to them. Yes, he, the, the little seven-year-old boy doesn't have to lay tefillin. But you still have to feed him kosher. Yeah, the uh, girl doesn't have any issues with talat mishpacha. She's eight, nine years old. But she still has to have clothes on. She still has to look modest. She's still the daughter of God. Can't let her walk around with uh, uh, tank tops and short shirts, short skirts and things like that. Absolutely not. First verse. Your women. Just because she's your wife doesn't mean she's above the law. Because if you tell, listen, honey, you have to be modest, she's going to yell at you. Doesn't mean that it's okay, you just don't tell her anything. You have to figure out a way. If she doesn't listen to you, you have to get somebody else that she's going to listen to. Who? Find a way. CD, a rabbi, a lecture, something. You have to do something. You can't just let it go. No, no, she's going to do her thing, I'm going to do my thing. I remember one of the worst possible things that I ever heard was uh, we were in Israel on the way back uh, from, uh, on the way to the airport. And uh, the uh, taxi driver was telling us, you know, was talking and so on, telling us a story. He's like, listen, biggest mistake I made in my life is when I started doing tshuva, I didn't care whether my wife is going to do tshuva or not. I figured she's going to do her thing, I'm going to do my thing, and at some point, uh, you know, she'll just get, you know, she'll catch on. So catch on. She figured, listen, I'm keeping Shabbat. She'll keep Shabbat eventually. She's on late tefillin. Eventually she's going to, you know, see, okay, so I'll, I should pray also. No tefillin, but I should pray. She should just catch on by herself like it's a cold. He says that was the biggest mistake I made in my life. I continued doing what I was doing, focusing just on learning myself. Hoping she's going to catch on one day. Not bringing her to Shura Torah, not bringing a CD, not saying words of wisdom, not nothing. Just, she's going to catch on by herself. He says it's now almost 20 years later, and she's the biggest hater of Torah I know. She dafka turns on the TV on Shabbat. She dafka smokes inside the house on Shabbat. Dafka. Dafka. And now I can't divorce her. Why? He says I have seven kids with her. What am I going to do? Break the house? So I pray every day for salvation. Somebody does tshuva, bring along the family. Bring along your spouse. Bring along your spouse. Even if it means slow down. Sometimes your guy, guy learns a lot more Torah. He's obligated to learn Torah. So he could go fast. He could already do a lot of things right away. He learns a lot of things. Women don't learn as much. They're not obligated to learn as much. So they may grow slower. It's better that you grow slow with her, but grow together, than grow too fast and leave her behind. But make sure you bring them along. How? Listen to Shuret Torah with her. She doesn't want to, put it in the background. One way or another, she's going to have to hear it. Put it in the background. You have a computer in your house, you're already in the computer, you have speakers, instead of listening in the headphones, where it's clearer in headphones, right? It's much clearer in headphones. Much better in headphones. You listen to Shur Torah with headphones, much better. But it's not. Why is not? Because she can't hear in the headphones. So what do you do? You blast the speaker. Whether she likes it or not, she's going to hear the Shur Torah in the background. Instead of the Shur Torah on TV. 
Bring the rabbi to your keilah. Why? Because she's probably going to come to the shiur, baby. My husband organized it. My husband invested in it. Try to get her involved. Try to get him involved. Be patient. Don't tell them that, uh, you know, uh, all the tough things right away. Just get them in. And never, ever give up. Never give up. Just keep trying. Keep trying to bring them along with you. It's very difficult. But here he's telling you, you have to include your women. Why? Because it's very easy for us to not... To not do. Why? Who wants to hear this headache? I want to do tshuva. Leave me alone. She doesn't want to do tshuva. It's her problem. That's what, you know, mentality of a guy is. Listen, she's already a mother of my kid. She's already my wife. Let her be whatever she is. I'm going to do tshuva. I'm going to go to Ghana. Then let her go to Ghana. I don't want to be with her anyway. I had enough with her already in this world. I don't have to deal with her in the next world. You understand? So don't have that mentality. Then it says, your converts. Oh, your converts. Gecha, gecha, the, the convert. What does it mean, convert? It says, first and foremost, just because you're a convert does not mean that there's a different law for you. People think that just because they converted, that's it. By default, they're okay. They could slow down now. They went into conversion, they were tzadikim, tzadikot. But now they're married. Now they're this. Now they're that. They get slowed down. No slowing down, my friend. Same law applies to you. On the other hand, it's also a rebuke for Ami Israel. He says, just because he's a convert does not mean you have to look at him any different. He's the same thing as you. Same Torah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later today. The convert that's in the midst of your camp, from the hewer of your wood to the drawer of your water, whether the guys, whether the people are rich or poor, the same law applies to all. The guy that's gathering wood, this guy that's running the country, doesn't matter. Law applies to everybody. For you to pass into the covenant of Hashem your God and into His imprecation that Hashem your God seals with you today in order to establish you today as a people to him, and that he be a God to you. So here, we are becoming a nation. Again. But now, just in case, someone wants to be smart, and they say, listen, yeah, it's good. Times of Moshe Rabbeinu, I would have also been a tzaddik. If I saw Moshe Rabbeinu, talking to God, I heard God's voice. See a pillar of fire, following us, giving us light. See a, Cloud, cleaning our clothes. We're walking on top of the cloud for 40 years. We don't have to change shoes. We don't have to change clothes. We don't have to go to the bathroom. Why? Because there's food from Shemaim comes down right to my door. I eat it. It's completely absorbed by my blood system. To the point I don't have to go to the bathroom for 40 years. Only people with stomach problems can appreciate what I just said. If you don't have stomach problems, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyone that's ever had stomach problems would appreciate what I'm saying here. One of the things there's a machloket about, one of the things there's a debate about between the sages is whether we're going to have to go to the bathroom after Mashiach comes. Why would we care? Anyone that's ever had stomach problems cares. (laughs) Care not, not... 
we're not all Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Let's not pretend to be Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. No, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm not going to learn Torah. Okay, you, you have 24 hours in a day. Not everybody's in the bathroom seven hours. Most people are in the bathroom 20 minutes. What, we do Torah? Why, you're really studying the other 23 hours and 40 minutes? It's not because of that. Because going to the bathroom is 50-50. If you're a normal person, it's a relief. It's a relief. If you happen to have some issues with your body, kaparat avonot, it's mamash 100% suffering. Suffering that only, I don't even wish to my enemies. Suffering going to the bathroom. If you don't understand what I mean, you should pray to Hashem every day. When you do a shayatzal, you should pray to Hashem extra. Extra cover another, you don't know what I mean. If you go to the bathroom with no problem, nothing hurts, two seconds you're in, two seconds you're out, normal to you, everything I'm saying to you, is like, what is he talking about this guy? If everything I said to you doesn't mean anything to you, you should pray to Hashem extra. Extra you should pray to Hashem. Why? Because it doesn't mean anything to you. Because if it did mean something to you, you'd probably be given the shield. You never know until you know. Until you know, you don't know. So he says, we'll continue, he says, in case you don't think, it's for you. In chapter 9, in, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 29, verse 13, a few verses into the parasha, he says, He says, Now with you alone do I seal this covenant and this imprecation. Not just you people that are in front of me in Mount Sinai, in the desert for 40 years, you saw the pillar of fire. You saw the cloud. You saw man coming from Shemaim. So he says, no, not just you. You think it's just you. If it was just you, I don't have to have this parashah b'chlal. If it's just you, you don't have to have Sefer Torah b'chlal. Why? He's right there. You can see it. You can see it. Who, who needs it b'chlal? He says, not just with you. But whoever is here standing with us today before Hashem, our God... And whoever is not here with us today, meaning your grandson that wasn't that's not born yet, your great grandson, the descendants of your grandson, the descendants of the descendants of your grandson, five thousand years from now, still same breed, nothing changes. That's who the deal is with. Everything, this whole Torah, is for everyone. Moshe Rabbeinu says, in the name of Hashem. So this, we read this a week before Rosh Hashanah. Every year, a week before Rosh Hashanah, we read this parasha. Why? Because in case you didn't read all the parashot until now, and you think that it doesn't apply to you, you happen to walk into the Beknesset a week before Rosh Hashanah, say, hey, by the way, everything you missed out on, it applies to you. You have a lot of catching up to do. So now he continues. And he starts talking about some of the t- things that we're talking about is actually a prophecy of the end of times. What's going to happen at the end of times? He starts giving us warnings about idol worship, 
But he specifies what kind of idol worship. And you saw their abominations. He's talking about the Goyim have these abominations. What abominations? They're detestable idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold were with them. Here he's naming four different idols. Wood, stone, silver and gold. Wood represents Christianity. Stone represents Islam. Silver and gold are different forms of money, which unfortunately people today worship sometimes even more than they worship Christianity and Islam together. Because some of those people that are worshipping money are also Jews. But they call themselves religious. So Moshe Rabbeinu is saying at the end of times you're going to have a lot of idols, not just one idol. You're going to have the what people that, Kofrim, that call themselves Jews for Jesus or Messianics. They're going to pretend to be religious Jews. They have Talit. They have Tefillin sometimes. They look perfectly Jewish. Little do you know, these people are considered Minim. Minim, the Rambam says mean, you're obligated to hate him. And even if he wants to do tshuva, you can't help him. Why? A mean is someone that gets other people away from God. And we had a shir about that uh, a few months ago. We'll talk a little more about it later. He says those people, unfortunately, have a serious problem. But the ones that have a bigger problem than the minim are the ones that are worshipping money. And the reason why is because the guy that's worshipping money doesn't realize he's idol-worshipping. Doesn't realize that his whole life is based around money. He wakes up in the morning, he thinks about money. In the afternoon during lunch, he's thinking about money. When he goes to sleep, what do you think about? Money. All day money. This is a form of idol-worship. So here is the beautiful part of this parasha, is Hashem reminds us of one of His greatest creations. In chapter 30, verse 1, it says, Says, it will be, again, talking about at that moment and also the end of times, it will be that when all of these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse that I've presented before you, then you will take it to your heart. Among all the nations where Hashem your God has dispersed you, Obviously, he didn't disperse Am Yisrael at this point. The point that he's talking to them, he didn't disperse them. Everybody's in, in the desert. We say, so this is one of the clear uh, messages that this is talking about the end of times. Plus, he mentions the end of times. Um, so he says, after Hashem shows you the blessings, he shows you the curses, regardless of whether you are in the four corners of the world, you will do tshuva and return to Hashem. V'shavta ad Hashem. What's shavta? What's tshuva? Shuv. Shuv means to return. You return to God. 
and listen to his voice according to everything that I command you today, you, your children, and with all your heart and all your soul. So here Hashem is giving us the commandment of doing tshuva. It's one of the 613 laws in the Torah. Is in this parasha multiple times. This is one of them. Another one of them is in verse 4, chapter 30. And another one is in verse 10. It says, Lishmo mitzvotav v'chukotav v'ktuvah b'sefer ha-Torah azeh ki tashuv el Adonai Elohecha b'chol e'ovecha b'chol nafshecha. All of these decrees that are written in the book of Torah that you shall return to Hashem, your God, with all your heart and all your soul. So there's multiple times that we see, and there's also one in uh, verse 8, and so on. This parasha is packed, packed with details about the mitzvah of doing tshuva. Doing tshuva. Now what does it mean to do tshuva? What does it mean? Does it mean that if you do tshuva, you're extra nice to the rabbi? You donate money? Does it mean if you do tshuva, you uh, put tutfilin? Both Rashi and Rabbi Nutam. If you do tshuva, you wear certain clothes. What does it mean, do tshuva? We'll learn that in this Mishnah as well. So, in this Mishnah, chapter 4, Mishnah 7. Rabbi Tzadok says, Al tifrosh min ha-tzibur ve'al ta'as atzmecha ke'orche ha-dayanim ve'al ta'ase atara li'tgadel ba ולא קרדום לחפר בה, וכך היה הלל אומר, ודהשתמש בתג החלף, על עמדת כל הנהנה מדברי תורה, נוטל חייו מן העולם. So, here, we have Rabbi Tzadok, which we'll learn about him momentarily. He says the following, some say that the first two things are actually an additions uh, to uh, some, uh, some don't include it, because it's already mentioned in previous Mishnayot. It says, don't separate yourself from the community. When serving as a judge, do not act as a lawyer. These first two things of uh, separating yourself from the community was already mentioned in the first Mishnah, the first chapter, uh, Mishnah 8. And when serving as a judge, do not act as a lawyer was uh, mentioned uh, also. In, I'm sorry, that's 1.8, and the first one was in 2.5. And uh, those first two things... Are relevant, but not all included. What's included here from Rabbi Tzadok is the following. It says, do not make the Torah a crown for self-glorification, nor a spade with which to dig. And so Hillel used to say, he who exploits the crown of Torah for personal benefit shall fade away, from this you derive that whoever seeks personal benefit from the words of Torah removes his life from the world. Simple translation of everything I just said is the following. Do not separate yourself from a community. We already learned is you're not allowed to be a Jew alone. You're not allowed to be a Jew in the middle of an island with no, no community. Unless the entire world is full of wicked people, which would already mean that Hashem destroyed the world. So... In essence, one of the major commandments is for you to be a part of a keilah, for you to be a part of a community. And it's also one of the rules for conversions is that you have to live in a Jewish community within walking distance from a shul. And the reason why is because you have to be part of a community. You have to have a rabbi tell you whether you're doing right or wrong. 
You have to have a community that you can be a part of, celebrate holidays together, at least know where you stand, learn with, teach, and so on. You can't be a Jew alone. So all of these people that come to me and they say, I want to convert, first thing we tell them is that there's two parts to conversion. One is you have to learn what it says in the Torah. Two, you have to make certain lifestyle changes. You have to keep certain laws, eat certain foods. But one of these things you have to do is you have to move to a Jewish community. This is usually the stopping point for many people. Why? It's expensive to move to a Jewish community. Imagine a guy discovers Judaism is the truth, but he lives in the middle of Montana, where his next-door neighbor is 15 miles away. His house, huge, giant house. But in order for him to move to a Jewish community, even if he sold his entire house, maybe he can afford a tiny little apartment. And his next-door neighbor is going to be on top of his head. So it's, it's a major lifestyle change. This is a very difficult thing for a lot of people. The beauty is, you don't have to be Jewish. If you're a righteous goy, you're a righteous Gentile, you have a lamba. It's not the same lamba, but you have a lamba. You can't expect the same reward for doing less. But you don't have to convert. At the same token, if you want to convert, you have to comply with all the rules. That's exactly what we said in this parasha. All of the rules, not some of them. So, Abizadok is saying, first and foremost, don't separate yourself from a community. Meaning, if you have problems with the rules, don't become Jewish. If you're already Jewish because you were born that way, already know you have to be part of a community. You don't like your community? Move. It's more expensive? Too bad. You have to do it. Why? You have to be part of something. You can't be alone. You can't be alone. You have to go somewhere. You have to be part of something. You can't be a Jew in the middle of uh, you know Key West with the Hurricane uh, 5 over there. Irma hit it uh, 5 because there's so many homosexuals over there. It's probably the reason. You can't be a Jew and Haredi surrounded by a bunch of people that hate God. You have to move somewhere else. Second, when serving as a judge, don't act as a lawyer. In the first Mishnah, when we read it, in, Mish- in chapter 1, Mishnah 5, it meant if you're going to be a judge, don't act like a lawyer, meaning when you're a lawyer, you're biased. You're biased. Why? You're fighting for your client. You're not fighting for the truth. You're fighting for your client. Here, it doesn't apply. Here, it applies in a different way. Here, he says, listen, don't separate yourself from the kila. And don't be a judge. Don't be a lawyer. Meaning, don't make excuses. No, no, but there's not really, I can't really find a good rabbi, and I can't really find a good community, and who knows anymore? You know, I have so many people, they come, they do, they come shuret Torah, they do tshuva, and they stop coming to shurim. They come atheists, they come Christian, they come uh, idol worshippers, they come uh, whatever they come. They come Jews that just don't know anything, ignorant. They do tshuva, learn, da, 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 six months, a year, however long it is, stop coming. It's always wondered, what happened? You came, you benefited. Why stop coming? So one time I had this guy, this is maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, came, oh Hashem, got stronger, and he stopped coming. So I saw him in the Beknesset one time, and I told him, no, 
You haven't come. You're busy. What happened? Why don't you come? You used to come every Tuesday. Used to, the lecture used to be at my house. Why don't you come? He lives, my mom's like, I don't know, three minute walk from my house. He doesn't even have to drive this. Literally, three minute walk from my house. Why don't you come? It's like, no, you know, listen, I'm okay already. I keep, I keep already. I keep, it's fine. You know, your shoe is for beginners. 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 She was for beginners. Before, you know, he was still an animal. It was for him. Now he became a human being. It's not for him anymore. So, and I heard this many times. I also heard this recently from a good guy that hasn't been able to come to the shulim. And he's like, no, you know, it's, I know most of your uh, crowd, most of your fans are, uh, people that watch shulim are secular. And to let all of you know, this couldn't be further from the truth. Why? Most of the people that watch my shulim are religious people. But not just religious. I have rabbis watching the shulim. I have Tamidei Chachamim watching the shulim, Baruch Hashem. Yeshiva students watch the shulim. People that are already in. Some people are secular, and they love the shulim, they do tshuva. But anyone that's going to watch the shulim on a regular basis has to do one of two things. Either they have to become religious, so they can't be a secular person anymore. Or they have to stop watching. Because you cannot continue getting it on your head every week, every week, every week. Mechalel Shabbat Mot Yumat. Death penalty to the Mechalel Shabbat. He's not considered a Jew anymore. And uh, someone doesn't go with his wife when she's uh, pure. And he goes when she's not pure, it's karet. And someone doesn't eat kosher, is tameh. You can't hear these things every week and not do tshuva. You can't. It's either you're going to stop listening or you're going to do tshuva. Which means that everyone that's watching is either already religious or is in the process of being. So, and I see also some emails. Emails, who emails me? I see guys, yeshiva students, rabbis, Baruch Hashem, amazing people. Why is it all of these people? Because all of these people have one thing in common. They want to improve. Someone that's already connected to Hashem wants to improve his connection. He's going to watch a Torah. Someone who is not connected to Hashem is not going to worry about connecting to Hashem or improving it because there's no connection at all. So someone that's looking to remain secular is not going to continue watching the Shulet Torah. You have to be insane. So for all of those people that think, no, the Shulet Torah only for beginners, this couldn't be further from the truth. This is the Yitzhah talking. So the Mishnah starts off with first and foremost, don't separate yourself from the Kilah and don't make excuses for yourself of why you can't come to the Shulet Torah, why you can't do this, why you can't live here, why you can't live there. Enough. No excuses. Once we've established those first two points, we can begin. We can begin with what Chidush, Rabbi Tzadok, is adding to those two things. He says, do not make the Torah a crown for self-glorification. And don't make it a spade of which to dig. So many of the uh, commentaries say that actually this Mishnah is a special Musar for speakers, people that teach Torah. As a continuation for what we learned last week from Rabbi Ishmael. We learned last week that somebody who studies for the sake of just studying for himself is going to get a you know limited amount of siyat Ishmael. 
But someone that studies for the purpose of helping people do tshuva gets an extra level of siyat v'yishmaya. Gets an extra level of assistance from heaven. Chidushim and so on and so forth. You could study a lot more information in less time. So here is a, the Rabbi Tzadok continues this teaching. He says, listen, you have to understand. You're going to get these chidushim. You're going to learn these different things. But don't do it because you're looking for kavod. Don't do it because you're looking for money. Why? Because anyone that uses the crown inappropriately loses olam haba. No share of the world to come. You can teach Torah your entire life and be a kofir gamu. So now, you have yourself a problem. The problem is, it's hard not to take things to your head in anything. One of the greatest human pleasures that anyone has is getting compliments. For most, most people, it's a necessity, like breathing. It's a necessity. For example, any man that wants to stay married has to get used to giving his wife compliments for no reason. You want to stay happily married? Get used to giving compliments. You don't want to give compliments, you want to be cheap with compliments? Prepare to be single or miserable. One of the two. Or both. Why? A woman needs compliments. She needs it. Why? Because her whole being, as far as confidence, if she's a normal woman, is going to depend on what the most significant person in her life thinks of her. Her husband. So if you're one of these husbands that's generous to give everyone else a compliment to get, except your wife, you're an idiot. It's like helping everyone else breathe except yourself. That's why even in the airplane, they tell you, listen, in case we crash, put the mask in front of your face first. Don't put it on the baby. Don't put it on your neighbor. Why? First save yourself. Then it, it's going to help you save others. So, complimenting wives. Um, so, a person that wants to remain married must compliment his wife. A wife needs it. Someone that is uh, on a shiduch. Um, I was actually just talking to a guy the other day, and uh, I told him that some of the things that he was saying, the way he was talking to the woman that he wants to be with and, and get married with, Bezot Hashem, I told him that uh, if you continue talking like that, not only will you not get married, but you'll remain single, uh, single forever. Because you're talking to her like a guy. You're talking to the woman like a man. You know, it's logical, it's rational, but she's not a man. You have to, you have to talk to a woman differently. So, it's very important for a person to know how to talk. But at the same token, one of the main things that every person wants is to hear these compliments. So the woman needs to hear compliments. But the same thing for all of us. Someone goes to work. They work partly because they want to make a salary, but partly because they want to hear, good job. Good job, big guy, you did good. Why? That good job gives the guy encouragement to continue. Same thing with learning. One of the important things that a teacher needs to know how to do 
is to give people compliments and, and, and encouragement to continue. If you're always going to tell people that they're not good enough, then eventually they're just going to give up. Like, listen, I've been already trying for five years. It's still not good enough. Nothing is good. Never got one compliment. Eventually, the guy's going to break. This is something that's very hard to do sometimes for certain people. Certain people are very good at giving compliments, sometimes a little too much. Certain people don't give compliments at all. So you have to have someone of a balance. The problem is, is that sometimes you give people compliments and you destroy them. This has happened several times to me where I would give somebody a compliment and all of a sudden they took it to their head and they thought they would be became Moshe Rabbeinu. The guy just started learning. Baruch Hashem started doing tshuva. You know, you give him a compliment. All of a sudden, a month, two months later, he starts telling you that uh, gives you musal. Starts telling you about the things that uh, you need to know and this and that. This happened to me several times. Or he doesn't want to listen to you anymore. Why? Because he gave a compliment. This happened multiple times. So it's very, very hard to not take things to your head when someone is complimenting you unless you have Musa on a regular basis, meaning that not just are you learning Musa, but you're actually applying it. Now, Musa is not just something that you come attend the shiur once a week and you heard your Musa. Musa is something that you have to meditate on and think about on a day-to-day basis. So that's why I tell you guys that one of the most important things that you need to do and should do is watch the shiurim again. Aside from coming here, aside from watching it online, watch it again and take notes. Take notes for some of the things, because you're not going to remember everything I said. I don't remember everything I said. Take notes of these things, because Baruch Hashem, we try very hard to make sure that every week there's something new. Take notes of the sources. Take notes of the sayings. Take notes of the things that hit you the most. The things that apply to you the most. Take notes of these things and go over these notes. This week, next week, and so on and so forth. Keep taking notes. Because Musar is not something you just read one time like a a story. It's something you have to continue applying throughout your entire life. So, it's very important to take this stuff seriously. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes the person that needs the most amount of Musar is the rabbi. And the reason why is because he got some kavot from some people. People started donating. People gave him a job to be, I don't know, a, uh, you know, Rosh of Akela, Rosh of Akolel, Rosh of Yeshiva, you know, a teacher of some kind. People gave him a big salary. Some of these rabbis in the world make big money. Some people, they're, they're speakers, they make $25,000, $30,000 per lecture. It's very hard not to have a big head when for you showing up for an hour's speech, they gave you $25,000. Very hard. So he says, Abit Sadok says, make sure that the Torah that you've learned, you're not learning it for the sake of being a rabbi. You're not learning it for the sake of getting kavod. You're not learning it for the sake of getting paid. Why? Because if you're learning it for that, number one, everything we said last week applies to you. Meaning that siyat dishmaya that you were, you could potentially get, you're not going to get. Why you're not going to get? Because you're not learning lishma. You're not learning for Hashem. You're learning for money. It's like anybody else. 
Someone uh, learns architecture for money. They want to be an architect. Someone learns medicine for money. They want to be a doctor. Someone learns science for a profession and so on and so forth. He goes, you're learning it for a profession. You're learning it to sell it. This is not good Torah. This is not healthy Torah. This is unhealthy Torah. And it creates a lot of problems. The worst thing that someone can tell me, and I heard this already twice in the last two months, last two months, three months, two different people, worst thing you could possibly tell me if you want me to help you with conversion, because Hashem, many people come to me for conversion, and we try to help whoever is legitimately wants to convert. But the worst thing you could do when you introduce yourself is, Hi, Rabbi, I want to convert, so I we a rabbi. I want to convert because I want to become a rabbi. First you have to become a Jew. Be a Jew first. Be a standard Jew, regular Jew. Survive as a Jew. A year, five years, ten years. Be a Jew. Then we'll worry about rabbi, no rabbi. Be a Jew first. So, people want to tell people what to do. So it looks, this job of speaking to people, looks like a glorified job. Looks like it's uh, fun to tell people what to do. Hey, Michal Shabbat, death penalty. The guy that's a thief, Rasha. It looks like it's fun to do this. But when you tell them, listen, you don't charge any money for doing it. It becomes a little less fun. You have to live in a miracle every month because you don't have any money. The fun drops even more. Many people send you messages that are not exactly compliments. They're not compliments all the time. Not everybody says, hey, Tzaddik, I love you, you're the best. Not everybody. Some people say, Rasha, they make videos against you. By the way, in case you guys don't know, there's a new video against me. No, new one. Come on, Chidushim. Chidushim. I just told you I have to bring you Chidushim every week. New guy. We have a new Chidush video against Yaron Ruven. New Chidush, right before Shabbat, right before the hurricane. Right before the hurricane, another guy made a video about me, has a clip, Mamash, professionally made. He has me in the background. Torah. You know, that's what I said. Why? He's a Messianic Rasha Merusha. Messianic, yeah, yeah, don't say the name. So, Shem Reshaim Yerkav. I'm afraid it's like Beetlejuice. Maybe I'll arrive here. <laughs> Don't worry, not worried. We're going to talk about him, Bezat Hashem. The point I'm trying to make is that not everybody's compliments all the time. Not always compliments. So, important thing to know is that if you're going to teach Torah, you're going to learn Torah, you're learning Torah for the sake of Torah. You're learning Torah because God obligated you. Not because you're going to give chidushim every week. Not because you're going to give shurim every week. Not because you want to show people off that you're the smartest. You're this. You're no, 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 no. You're doing it purely because you have to. Without learning Torah, you cannot be righteous. It's impossible. So the question goes: When is this obligation to learn Torah stop? What if you're having a tough time? What if you have irma? You have hurricane irma showed up at your door. You're stressed out galore. There's no electricity. There's no water. You haven't taken a uh, shower in a day and a half. There's no AC. It's hot. 
When does it stop, this obligation to learn Torah? As long as you're naki, as long as you're clean, and there's no bad smell around you, you're obligated to, to learn Torah even if you're deathly sick. Even if you're deathly ill. The fact that you expect to learn Torah only out of comfort shows how far you are from the truth. Because a person who knows the value of Torah, the value of Torah, knows that the highest level of Torah is to learn Torah with Isurim, through suffering. Meaning the great, greatest sages in history, whether it's the days of the Gemara, Rabbi Udanasi, Rabbi, Rabbi Akadosh. Why is he known Rabbi Akadosh? Aside from protecting his weight, because for 29 years, first 13 years he had problems with his stomach, and another 16 years he had teeth problems. He brought it on himself. Because the value of learning Torah through suffering is exponentially higher. This doesn't mean that we have to pray for suffering. We'll just survive basic. The point being is that some of the greatest sages that ever lived asked for suffering. Asked for suffering. So if we're expecting to learn only when it's comfort, that you know, we have popcorn, a little coffee, a little Coke, maybe uh, you know, the AC pumping... We have to learn more Musa. We have to learn more Musa. So as far as learning Torah, you're obligated to learn Torah, regardless of whether it's comfortable or not. And uh, Rabbi Saimi Salant, Allah Shalom, used to uh, learn something from a uh, watchmaker one time. He saw a watchmaker still working late at night. And uh, so listen, once you go home, relax. And he says to... Rabbi Israel, as long as the candle, you know, those days no electricity, as long as the candle is still lit, there's still time to fix. Meaning, it's still time to fix watches. It's not like he was a rich guy that he could just shut off the candle and there's going to be a new candle tomorrow. He has to use the maximum potential of every candle. This is on a basic perspective. But Rabbi Israel learned a lot Musar from that. What he learned? He ran back to the yeshiva and he told, for the rest of his life, he would repeat the same thing over and over again. As long as the candle is still lit, there's still time to fix. As long as the candle is still lit, there's still time to fix. Meaning, as long as you're still alive, you can still do tshuva. The candle represents your soul. Then the shema is light. As long as it's, you're still alive, you still have a chance to do tshuva. What am I doing tshuva for? All the sins you made yesterday. Oh, you good yesterday? Day before. You were good day before? Day before. Today, yesterday, next week, and so on. You have to constantly fix something. Constantly. So, when the students of Rabbi Israel understood this teaching, they understood that they all had a chance. This was actually encouragement for them. This is encouragement for someone that actually takes Musar the right way. It's very motivating. It's very motivating that, yes, okay, I'm spiritually sick. That's what the Rambam calls anyone that's a sinner. He calls them spiritually sick. Sick, ill. It's okay to be sick. It's not okay to deny the medicine. So Rabbi Saimi Salat, when he would give his students Musal, and the rest of the sages, when they would give people Musal, tell them, listen, you're sick. You're a very sick person. You're Mechalel Shabbat. You have bad Midot. You do this, you make all these sins against the Creator. Obviously, there's something wrong with that. 
That's the diagnosis. The medicine is learn Musar. The encouragement to take the medicine is still alive. It's still alive. So now that's part of the job of the speaker. But the speaker, when he's going to give you Musar, if he's a good speaker, he already knows ahead of time there's going to be some compliments and there's going to be some people go against. The better the speaker, meaning the, the more truth the speaker has, the more people are going to go against him. This is just a reality. Source, you don't have to look at my life. You don't have to look at Rabbi Zahi's life. All you have to do is look at the Torah. What was the job of all the prophets? Every single prophet mentioned in the Torah. Isaiah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, Moshe Rabbeinu, David Melech. All of them, every prophet, their job, rebuke the people, teach them Musar, do tshuva, follow this parashat nitzavim. You have to do tshuva. That's what constantly all of the prophets, prophet after prophet, prophet after prophet, the men and the women, there's 48 men prophets and seven men, uh, seven uh, women prophets. The Gemara Masechet Megillah says, 55 are mentioned in the Torah. Seven women, 48 men. All of them had one job. Get Am Yisrael to do tshuva. So now, the greatest of them, Moshe Rabbeinu, the entire nation went against them. All of them. The guy, he speaks to God. And God answers. Everyone thinks they speak to God. But here he's answering him. He's answering him. He makes miracles for him. Non-stop. What do they do? They go against them. So you little rabbi speaks for a couple of years, think who you are. Who do you think you are? What? You don't think anybody should go against you? Why? You don't think anybody should make videos against you? Why? Who do you think you are? You better than Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu had people going against him. So first and foremost, you must understand that if you're doing it for kavod, you're doing it for the wrong reason. So how would you avoid this problem, both as a student and as a teacher? You do it by learning the most important thing to learn. In Musar. Most important thing to learn in all of Judaism. You learn Yerat Shemayim. Now, Yerat Shemayim itself has steps, has a way to get to it, and there's an outcome that comes out of it. Several steps in Yerat Shemayim. First and foremost, Yerat Shemayim, we need to know that there's a pasuk in Sefer uh, Isaiah, it says, Yerat Hashem Iotzaro. The fear of Hashem, that's his treasure. Some of the commentaries are saying, part of the commentary, one way of, of translating this verse, is saying that the only thing a person has in this world is Yerat Shemayim. His money is worthless. His looks worthless. His, uh, everything he has in the world is worthless. Why? Can't come with him. Only thing they're going to ask him, and when he gets to Shemayim, first thing they ask him, do you have Yerat Shemayim or not? Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 32, says, even if he knows the entire Mishnah, meaning the entire oral Torah by heart, 
even if he learned Torah, even if he did good business, even if he was nice to everybody, and ta 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 answered all the questions right. They ask him, do you have Yirat Shamayim? If the answer is no, judgment is no. Judgment's negative. Why? Yirat Hashem, The fear of the Almighty, that's his treasure. That's the only thing he can really come with. Akol bide Shamayim, chutz Yirat Shamayim, Chazal says. Everything is in the hands of Hashem, except whether you have fear of Hashem. That's your, that's your free choice. That is, when you arrive to Shemaim, you arrive in Rosh Hashanah, Yom Adin, all you can arrive with is a bag full of Yirat Shemaim or a bag full of nothing. Everything else, the money, the kids, the wife, the husband, the job, the opportunity, the, everything else is worthless. Yirat Hashem, that's your treasure. The other commentaries are saying it also means that's Hashem's treasure. The entire world was created purely because Hashem wanted you to fear Him. That's His treasure. Originally, He had two treasures. Two treasures. What was the other treasure? Shabbat. Shabbat. Gemara Masechet Shabbat says, Hashem Yitbarach, tells Moshe Rabbeinu, tell Am Yisrael, I have a big treasure in my treasure chest. And its name is Shabbat. Go tell them, I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to give them my Shabbat out of my treasure chest. After he gave us Shabbat, what does he have left? Yerat Shemayim. He gave you Shabbat. So when you don't keep Shabbat, not only you show that you don't have Yerat Shemayim, but you're not even appreciative of what he gave you. The Shabbat that he gave you. The other treasure that he gave you. So, Chazal is saying, Yirat Shamayim was enough of a reason for Hashem to create the entire world. That's the reason He created it. So the Rambam says, how do we prove this? In his Pirush, his commentary in Pirkei Avot, chapter, uh, chapter 4 of Pirkei Avot, he says, the purpose of wisdom, the purpose of you having any wisdom whatsoever, the purpose of Hashem creating wisdom. Hashem created many things, created flowers, created fish, created everything. Everything that's in the world created. The concept of you having free choice, you having desires, everything is part of Hashem's creation. Nothing is independent of Hashem. Nothing. Irma. Jose, whatever winds came, whatever winds left, everything is in the hands of Hashem. And he says that one of those creations is called wisdom. Having wisdom. The Rambam says the only reason he created wisdom is so you could be wise enough to fear him. The only reason he created you having any wisdom whatsoever is that you could be wise enough to fear him. Where do we learn this from? The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Almighty. David Amelech and also Shlomo Amelech repeated 
the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Almighty. So which means here that wisdom beginning of wisdom is Yirat Hashem. Right? Which means that in order for you to have wisdom, you have to have Yirat Shemaim. To know that you have Yirat Shemaim, to know you have wisdom, you have to have Yirat Shemaim. It's connected. Now how do you get to this? There's another verse in Proverbs. Shlomo Melech says, Ekev anava yirat Hashem, osher bekavod v'chayim. It says the result of humility is the fear of Hashem. Wealth, honor, and life follow. So, Shlomo HaMelech says, as a result of you having humility, being humble, you will reach the greatest treasures there is in this world and the next. Beginning with... No... Fear of Hashem. Humility will lead to fear of the Almighty. Ekev Hashem. But as a result of having Yirat Hashem, you're also going to have wealth, you're also going to have honor, and you're also going to have life. Why is life the end? He says because life is eternal. It's not just life in this world. Wealth is this world. Honor, this world. Life, eternal. Where if someone has all the money in the world, but dies. Money's worthless. Someone has all the honor in the world, but dies. Worthless. The fact they put your name on the building doesn't mean anything once you're dead. No one looks for Shemayim like, oh wow, let me go look at my building. They put my name on there. Or let me look at my foundation. They put my name on the foundation. No, nobody cares. They leave the world, they have something else to deal with. So the life that we're talking about here is that we're talking about a life that's eternal. So, in essence, here we see that humility is a tool you use in order to get to fear of the Almighty. Therefore, humility is even greater than wisdom. Because it says, Rashid Chochmah, the beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. At the same token, before we even get to fear of Hashem, before we even get to the beginning of fear of Hashem. Beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Before we get to the beginning, we have to have humility. Before you can get to the beginning, you have to have humility. Understand? So if you, Shechem, if you can understand everything I'm saying here. Beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Before you get to the beginning, to get to fear of Hashem, you have to have humility. You must be humble. You must be humble in order to even think that you need Fear of Hashem. Because fear of Hashem does not come to you naturally. How do you get to this first level of humility? Because here we see that we think that hey, if we learn a lot of Torah, we become very wise, we're going to become tzaddikim. Here we have a proof from the Rambam. It's not it. You don't need to be a big chacham. You just need to be humble. You don't need to be a big chacham. You don't need to be a big genius. Know the whole shas by heart. You don't need to be a genius to have Yirat Shemaim. You just need to be humble. Now, the only way to get to humility 
is to first understand what it means. Now, we don't really understand reward in this world because most of the things that we think are reward are usually not good for us. So we think money is a reward. For many people, money is poison. We think a wife or a husband is a reward. But if it's a good or a bad wife, determines whether it's a reward or it's a punishment. That's why the Gemara says someone has a bad wife, doesn't see Gainom. Doesn't go to Gainom. Why? He already has Gainom in this world. I don't know. Can we handle the tikkun? Scary wife is also scary. So now, we need to, we don't understand reward. We don't understand reward. We understand punishment. So let's see, what does Hashem, God Almighty, think about humility? So first and foremost, we know that there's 13 principles of faith that the Rambam teaches. It's the foundation of Judaism. If you violate these 13 principles of faith, you are putting your Judaism on the line. If you want to convert and you don't believe and you don't follow these 13 principles of faith, you cannot convert. If you're a Jew and you violate these 13 principles of faith, you are possibly putting your Judaism on suspension. One of them, the first one, is that there's only one God. This is the flaw with Christianity. Why? They believe, according to their New Testament, that there's three pieces to this one God. In essence, they believe there's three gods. There's the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity. So this already makes Christianity and anyone that believes in the New Testament 100% idol worship. 100% idol worship. So to associate with idol worshippers is very, very dangerous simply because you have to know whether you're strong enough or not. Most people are not strong enough to deal with idol worshippers and they can be influenced with them, influenced by them. Especially if this idol worshipper is a Masit. Someone that is actively looking to convert people to his idol worship. If he's such a person, like a missionary, then you're not even allowed to be within six feet of him. You're not allowed to stand next to him. He's considered a mesit, or a mean. And a mean has, according to the Rambam, in uh, chapter 4 of Isuhe Be'ah, it talks about minim. It talks about minim and... Um, I'm sorry, not Yisurei Be'ah. Uh, in Ilchot um, Shuva, in Chot Shuva, it talks about who uh, who could do Shuva, and uh, it says the the people that are minim are going to have an extra difficult time to do Shuva. Why? Because you can't even help them do Shuva. If they helped other people get away from Hashem, one of the mitzvot that you can do from the Torah is to hate them. So now, if this is an active mean, if he just believes in idol worship, it's a different story. You can try to help him. Show him that he's in a wrong, uh, he's going in a wrong direction. Like the uh, Melech Kuzari, the king of Kuzari, in the book, the Kuzari that Rabbi Uda Levi wrote almost uh, 800 years ago, the, the king was actually very righteous. And he actually had the merit to have a dream where an angel came to him and says, God appreciates your intentions but not your deed. Means you appreciate you're trying to worship him, but not the way you're doing it. He was trying to do it through Islam. He was trying to do it through Christianity. He was trying to do it through different stars and different things that he was trying to do. 
He had good intentions, but not good way. So then he, this in the Kuzari is a very, very good book, highly recommended. Um, it's dense book, a lot of proofs and so on, but it's a very, very serious book. Highly recommended, especially all converts. It's one of the books that they usually recommend. I think it should be, every Jew should read this book. But anyway, the, uh, he actually later on, he invited a Muslim guy. Proved to me, you know, it was one of the biggest religions. Proved to me that uh, Islam is true. He tells him A, B, C, D, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, and so on. Okay, where'd you get? Sounds all good. Sounds everything good. Muhammad sounds good, even though he's a rapist. Uh, is, uh, you know, uh, all the things that uh, he says sound good, even though he kills a bunch of people. Fine. Okay, where'd you get it from? Where'd you get the proofs that he has the instructions to do everything that he's doing? Who's giving him this power? He says he believes in God. He goes, who says that this, this God is the God, the right God? He goes, the Jews. So the Kuzari is like, oh, the Jews? Can't be the Jews. The Jews are little people. There's only a few million of them. Let's go to the Christian guy. Maybe the Christian guy is better. So he brings a Christian guy. Brings a, uh, the church to his, uh, to his kingdom. And he says, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. Jesus did this. Jesus did that. Okay, great. Everything sounds fine. Sounds like a nice story. He helps people. Sounds like a nice guy. Great. Whatever. Where would you get it from? Who says that he has this power? Who says he's righteous? Who, who decided these things? He said, God. He goes, okay, what's the proof? Who has the proof? Who's the first Christian? He goes, no, no, it's the Jews. Goes back to the Torah. Jesus himself was actually a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. So now the Kuzari was forced to meet with the rabbi. Some say it was actually Rabbi Yudah Levi himself. Some say it was somebody else. Point being is that you have the whole book is full of a debate between this very, very well-learned king and the rabbi. And it's a real story, and in the end, the, not only did the king convert but to Judaism, but he converted his entire nation. Almost 800 years ago. So now, a person that is following the Torah needs to know there's only one God. 13 principles of faith. But the Gemara in Masichet Sota, page 4b, says someone that has pride, meaning the opposite of humility, when you have pride, it's the equivalent, it's like Abu Dazara. It's like believing in two gods. Why? If you have pride, that means you think that your power, your intellect, your brain, your beauty, your might, your whatever, is a different entity from God. You created it. And this is why it says, Hashem Barak himself says, that... Someone that is prideful, him and I cannot be in the same room. You, should, you would think that says someone is prideful, Hashem should kill him on the spot. Why you shouldn't be in the same room? But here we learn Hashem's anava, Hashem's humility. What's it, how do you learn Hashem's humility from here? He says, someone that has pride, I can't be in the same room with him. But yeah, Hashem, the room is yours. The house is yours. He goes, yes, he wants to have... Pride? Give him the house. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Even though it's my house. It's like somebody coming to your house. He tells you how to run the show. He says, okay, you know what? Just have the house. I'm leaving. 
That's how humble Hashem is. So for someone to be prideful, it's mamash, literally the opposite of Hashem. Because with all of His might, and all of His glory, and for all of the reasons that He actually has to be, as arrogant as can possibly be imagined, Hashem is humble. So what right do you have to be prideful? So that's why he says, someone that's such an opposite of me, I can't be in the same room with him. He's considered mamas like he's turned himself into an idol. In Sefer uh, Dvarim, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 26, it says, Velo to'eva el betecha You shall not bring an abomination into your house and become banned like it. This abomination, you're going to be banned like it also. Chazal give the pirush, give the commentary on this, the abomination is referring to ga'ava, it's referring to pride. Don't bring pride into your house, meaning don't bring it into your heart. Why? Because just like I hate pride, you're going to end up turning me into hating you. And I'll ban you. The next chapter, chapter 8, verse 14, Hashem says the danger of having gava, of having pride, is to such an extent that by having pride, you could literally forget about God. The verse says, And your heart will become prideful, and you will forget Hashem your God. It's literally a verse in the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14. It says, after Hashem gave you all the gifts, He gave you rich, He gave you buildings, He gave you a wife, He gave you kids, He gave you this, He gave you that, He gave you this. If you're not connecting to Him on a day-to-day basis, learning Torah through thick or, or thin, you'll forget about God. Why? You'll turn yourself into a God. You'll think you made the money. My hand, my might, my power, my intellect, my beauty, my this, my that, I made everything. Hashem says pride is such a dangerous poison in your neshama that you mamash could forget about God. Last but not least, there is a story about Rav Vadya. Rav Vadya, Zechat Tzadik was not just a uh, giant of a generation, he was one of the giants of all generations. Mamash, huge. Big Talmud Chacham, Tzadik. And uh, he got a lot of kavod from people. During the month of Elul, it's known that he used to travel every night in a helicopter from place to place, from stadium to stadium, to give lectures to 10,000 people, 15,000 people at a time. One lecture, finished, go in a helicopter, go to another stadium, another 10, 15,000 people. And every place, every night, imagine, we barely get 20 people here, barely. Sometimes, when we, you know, great, 50. Biggest shiur, uh, in New York, we did 600 people. Big shiur, a lot of advertising, a lot of this. Him, 10,000 people, 15,000 people per lecture. Multiple times a night. Got a lot of kavod. And when he would arrive, they would sing. There was over 40 songs about him. 40 songs that professional singers wrote and wrote music for and lyrics just about Rabbi Vadya. 
I think they sing about me, but the opposite. So, a lot of kavod he got. When he would arrive at the place, the seating, they would sing and celebrate. There was a big kavod. Some people, some of the big tzaddikim that were around him, they don't stop talking about the stories that they experienced. But some people, their highlight of their life, for example, Rav Gidon ben Moshe, he's one of the head dayanim in, in Yerushalayim, says one of the highlights of his life was that he touched Rav Avadia one time. Highlights of this is a giant Talmit Chacham. He touched Rav Avadia one time. Touched him. So, a lot of Kavod he got. One time, he got to a stadium, Chodesh Elul, 10, 15,000 people in the stadium, celebrating his name, celebrating his name, and they, all of a sudden, they hear something from the speakers. Now, Rav Avadia did not know that the microphone was on. But they hear mumbling something over and over again, over and over again. And it becomes clear. And what is he saying? Toivat Hashem kol gvalev. It's an abomination. Meaning it's disgusting to Hashem anyone that has pride. You want to be disgusting to Hashem? Be prideful. You have 15,000 people singing your name. You're not going to have pride. Somebody wrote a nice email, you already think you're a tzaddik. 15,000 people are singing your name. Singing your name. And what is he saying to himself? And he doesn't know that people can hear what he's saying. Why? He's reminding himself. This is not credit to you. This is Torah. Torah is not even yours. It's Hashem's. You want to be disgusting to the shame Hashem that gave you this Torah? Take this personally and think that you're something. Think that the credit is due to you. So when someone really understands how much Hashem is disgusted by pride, that already gives them enough of a reason to build on, to run away from pride. Run away from kavod. Rabbi, that would. You would see him bang his chest all the time with just his feet. And then he puts on like a bunch of tobacco and then he stands back standing and he would remind himself, Shabbat, 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 too. You said the story. Sorry. If I remember, I'll tell you, I don't remember the story, Bechal, since you told me. Maybe it's a different rabbi? Different section? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember the story. I don't know the story. But um, if you know the story, tell me. Um, so anyway. Again, going back to the equation. You want to get the Yerat Shemaim? You have to get the humility first. Once you have humility, you get to get the Yerat Shemaim. Once... You have Yirat Shemaim. Once you've attained Yirat Shemaim, that means you also have wisdom. So it's mamash, a map. A map of how to navigate this world. Now, there's, uh, I mean, we've already gone through a lot, but there's a couple of things that I really wanted to mention that is very important. You see, sometimes 
people learn Torah, either because of the tshuva, or because they're already religious from birth, but they're just continuing to learn, or they're rabbis, and uh, they're not really doing it for the right reason. They do it for kavod, they do it for money. This Mishnah is talking about them. He says such a person can lose his olam haba. Now, first and foremost, how can such a person lose his olam haba? Because when somebody has pride, that means that they're not going to listen to anyone else. And they can continuously violate the law their whole life thinking that they're righteous. So you ask yourself, I've always asked myself, how could somebody learn Torah their entire life? How could somebody be religious, what's called religious in this world, their whole life, and wicked at the same time? Now, of course, there's pretenders. There's pretenders that, you know, they have a beard, they have a hat, but really they're pedophiles. They have a beard, they have a hat, but they're thieves and they price gouge people during a time of uh, storm. Chilul Hashem, people uh, you know, need water, they charge people $500 for water, or $50 for water that costs 30 cents. Of course, there's people that pretend. Those people have a special villa VIP section in Gainom. We're not talking about those people. We're talking about somebody that learns Torah. Learns Torah, but is a Rasha and Shemaim. How could such a thing be? So he says, Hillel here is saying, it's because they learn Torah not just for the money aspect of it, not just for the kavod aspect of it, but in essence for their own personal desires. The Torah has become a personal desire of theirs, where there is an intellectual aspect of it, intellectual benefit out of it, but also is that they feel like they're doing right and no one can change their mind. Now there's a story of uh, one of the big Chachamim in previous generations, somebody uh, came to him, and he says, Kvodarav, I need money for uh, my wife, my uh, daughter's wedding. Can you help me out? And the rabbi gives him, a, you know, takes some money out, he gives him a little bit of money. The guy leaves, and he still needs to raise a lot more money. But he took whatever the rabbi gave him. Later on, he comes back. Sometime later, he comes back. He says, I'm in a very desperate situation. My uh, daughter says she's not going to get married unless I buy her this very expensive dress. This very expensive dress. So the rabbi takes more money than what he took the first time. In the beginning, he gave him $100, let's say. Now here he gives him 1000 for the dress. Go buy the dress. So all of these tzaddikim always had someone that uh, would uh, sit next to them and learn just by watching them. So... Rabbi Shlomo Mikarlin was the, this rabbi. So the student said to him, Kvonarav, Lamdeni, teach me. When he asked for money for the wedding that's much more expensive, he gave him $100, whatever the money currency was at the time. For a dress, he came back, he had the chutzpah to come back to you for a dress. 
after you already gave him, he gave him a hundred dollars for the rabbi. Not so rich. You gave him a hundred dollars for the wedding. He comes back to you for chutzpah for an expensive dress. You didn't have money for a wedding. Now you want a top of it. You want a dress, not just a dress, expensive dress, a thousand dollar dress, and you give him the whole thing. Lamdeni, it has to be something here. You could have used all that money for the kolel. You could have used all that money to give Tamidei Chachamim. You could have used all that money to buy Torah books. You could have used all that money to give it to the homeless. You could have used all that money to give it to the sick. You could have used all that money to give it to the convert, to the orphan. So much money you can give so many people. For the Rabbi, give it to yourself to, I don't know, maybe uh, do something good for yourself. And Rabbi Shlomo Mikarlin says, everything you said, I also thought about. When he came to me for the wedding, I said, I have to help. He came back. He had bracha after I gave him the money. Starting money, he had bracha. He got the rest of the money. So that already I mitzvah, no problem. That's a separate mitzvah I did to give money for the wedding. When he came to me for the dress, he said, it's a thousand dollar dress. And everything you just said, I also thought about. I can give the money to the Avrechim. I can give the money to the Kolel. I can give the money to the this, to the that, to the sick, to the poor, to the convert. To the... All those things came to my mind also. But then I said, how come I didn't think about it before you came to me? And that's how I knew that this mitzvah that I was, I didn't really do. All these other things that all of a sudden I want to do, Satan wants me to do them. That's called mitzvah munah mira satan. That's a mitzvah that has the engine from a satan. The satan is the one that wants you to do this mitzvah. Instead of giving it to, to give a bride, do the mitzvah of giving a bride happiness on our wedding day. You know what kind of big mitzvah it is? Instead of making this poor bride happy, all of a sudden I'm thinking about the convert. All of a sudden I'm thinking about the homeless. All of a sudden I'm thinking about the poor. All of a sudden I'm thinking about the kolel. All of a sudden I want to give everyone a raise. Why not I think of it before this mitzvah? Because this mitzvah that is presented to me right now, that's the mitzvah I need to do. And all the other things that all of a sudden I'm thinking about, that's my satan. Satan doesn't want me to do this mitzvah. He wants me to, he rather me do these other things just so I don't do this mitzvah. That's how I know I have to give him the whole money. So here... Rabbi Shlomo Mikarlin is telling you, sometimes the Satan will come to you to tell you, I have a mitzvah for you. I have a mitzvah for you. You're thinking to yourself, Satan's giving me mitzvah? He goes, yes, a lot of them. Sometimes he's going to build you up for 30 years full of mitzvot. Just so you don't do the real mitzvah. Sometimes you can learn Torah your whole life, and still be a rasha in Shemaim. Because the only mitzvot you're fulfilling are the ones the Satan is giving you. Now I'm going to give you a few examples. Today, I got some emails, the last couple of days, some good news came out in regards to this whole wig war that we got involved in over the last couple of years. And, Mamash, 
we did a lot of research and confirmed that if you're getting a wig that has real hair, you're in essence guaranteeing yourself if you're getting it from a store, not if you're getting it from a person, you're cutting up, cutting the hair yourself. If you're getting it from a store, you're guaranteeing, guaranteeing yourself that you're involved in Avodah Zarah. Why? Because the overwhelming majority of the hair, real hair wigs in the world, real hair extensions in the world, is coming from tonsured hair from the temples in India, which is idol worship. They donate, if you will, their hair as a sacrifice to their false gods. Now the temple wants to make money out of it. So they take the hair, they send it to processing in China. So now it says, instead of made in India, it says made in China. China takes it to the next level of processing, dyeing, same colors, length, and so on and so forth, to different places in Europe. It could be London, it could be uh, France, it could be different places. So now it says, made in France, made in London, made in uh, Jehennam, wherever it made them. So people think, no, no, I have Brazilian hair, I have uh, Malaysian hair, I have uh, British hair, it's no British, no nothing, it's from India. So we uncovered this, Babu Hashem, and brought it up to the Jewish public and have been fighting this battle for the last couple of years, especially this last year, where the whole argument of wigs has always been about the modesty problem. That the wigs of today are not modest. Number one, they look too much like real hair. Two, the vast majority of them are real hair. Three, they're too long, and the wigs that were permitted by the handful of poskim in previous generations were not only short wigs, but wigs that didn't look like real hair. That was the major battle. A handful of poskim versus 120 or so poskim that say it's not allowed. We took a different approach. We said, forget about the modesty or not. Modesty, they're not going to listen anyway. Here we have something that's above and beyond everything else. It's idol worship. Why? It's connected to idolatry. Now this wasn't a chidush. Because Rabbi Yashiv, Allah Shalom, already said all of this in 2004 after he sent messengers to India to investigate the issue and confirmed it's idol worship. So what's the chidush? After Rabbi Yashiv said, it's not allowed to have these wigs from India because they are not kosher, they're idol worship. Some wicked people came up with a new scam that they claimed was a mitzvah. What kind of mitzvah? Mitzvah from the Satan. They said, we're going to kosherize wigs. We're going to make them kosher. Kosher certifications to confirm they're not coming from India. So they fooled the entire nation into going into this kosher wig nonsense. So the fact that Indian wigs were connected to idolatry, everyone knew already before we said it. What's the chidush? The chidush is, is that the kosher certification is fake. There is no such thing as a kosher wig. There is no way to kosher a wig. 
And the reason why is if you know anything about manufacturing process, if you know anything about markets, if you know anything about industry, these are things that I was an expert in for almost 20 years on Wall Street, running a hedge fund, running a brokerage firm, running an investment company. That's what I did for a living. If you know anything about factory, processing, different levels, different... You know that certain things have a plan, but many things don't go according to plan. The beauty of this, it was much simpler than that. Part of the plan of making a wig is to make it perfect. So everything is the same length. If you look at any woman in the world, your wife, your daughter, wife-to-be, you'll see that our hair is not all the same length. It's different lengths. Different. Here it's shorter, here it's longer, here's this. But when the wigs are made through processing, they combine all the hairs that are the same length as part of the process. Meaning, once you tonsil the hair, you shave over the head of the woman, her head is not going on another head directly. Her head is going to be mixed with a bunch of other hair of other people's heads. So even if you have 999 women that didn't give the hair as a sacrifice, but one did, and as part of the thousand hairs that were combined, the whole thing is pasul. There's no bitul b'shishin. There's no bitul in Abu Dazara, one out of 60, like there is in food and other things. There's no bitul. Once is Abu Dazara, the whole thing is pasul. You don't know which one. If there's one hair out of an entire wig that's Abu Dazara, the whole thing, you can't wear it. The only thing you're allowed to do with Abu Dazara is destroy it. That's the only thing. You're not allowed to sell it, you're not allowed to trade it, you're not allowed to give it as a gift, you're not allowed to wear it, you're not allowed to eat it, nothing. Only thing you're allowed to do is destroy it, throw it in the garbage. You want to be machmir, burn it. So now, what's the, the chidush was that the whole kosher thing is complete nonsense. It's completely fake. It's a scam to make money. And it's mamash 100% a mitzvah from the Satan himself. Satan himself made this mitzvah, created a mitzvah out of nothing. These women, many of them are righteous people. They're not wearing a wig only because they want to look more beautiful. They're wearing a wig because they think it's kisurosh. A few big poskim in the past said it's okay, even though we don't necessarily agree. Needless to say, they they have something to rely on. Fine. They're trying to be righteous. They're trying to cover their hair. They're not all wicked. They're not, we're not saying anyone wearing a wig is wicked. What we're saying here is that even if they're the most righteous person on earth, they don't know this mitzvah is, is from Satan. Why? They have Abu Dazara in their house. They have Abu Dazara on their heads. This is one of the biggest poisons in Judaism today. This is a mitzvah from the Satan to the highest extent. Why? Because now, to undo it is not so simple. Five major poskim in Israel came out over the last uh, month, and a report was released recently. We published it yesterday, uh, you know, in, uh, in their name, obviously. And said, as of now, real hair wigs are no longer allowed. They're forbidden, they're banned. Why? Because you cannot verify the source of the hair. Everything we said over the last couple of years, they verified on their own. They wrote the report. Other people wrote the report. We didn't write the report. 
We said all this stuff. We did the research and so on and so forth, but they did their own research. These are These are not like little local uh, Chabad rabbis, Breslev rabbis, Orthodox shul rabbis with a kilav uh, minyan and a half. These are G'dolei This is Dayanim. Rabbi Chaim Meir Levi Vosnel, the son of the previous G'dolei Ado, Rabbi Vosnel, Rabbi Sariel Rosenberg, Rabbi Yehuda Silman, Rabbi Shimon Badani, and Rabbi Moshe Mordechai Karp. All of them Dayanim. All of them Puskim. All of them the G'dolei Ado. All of them the giants of the generation all signed a letter saying, all wigs made from real hair are no longer allowed to Klal Yisrael. Why? We cannot verify if it's Abu Dazara or not. And since market research confirms that the vast majority of real hair wigs are coming from Abu Dazara, there's no way to kosher them. And they outright say in the report, you cannot rely on the kosher certifications because it's impossible for them to kosher a wig. It's impossible. Why? Because the only way for you to kosher a wig is by watching the hair from the minute it's shaven off the head until it goes on another head. Why? Because you have to make sure it's not combined with anybody else's hair. Because even if the original person is a donor and she wants to, I don't know, some Israeli girl wants to donate the hair to some uh, cancer patients. I actually have a distant cousin that did this. She shaved her head to donate her hair to some cancer patients. No problem. Problem is, unless somebody takes her head and puts it on somebody else's head, the hair is going to go through a processing process. It can be combined with other hair. So even if her head was pure mitzvah, she wanted to do chesed or whatever she wanted to do, it's combined with one hair of idol worship, the whole thing is, you can't, you're going to pick a hair. Which hair was it that's the idol worship? How do you know? It's impossible. So some of these fakers, what do they do? They make it like they're doing kosher. So you see pictures. We have pictures of this. They smell the hair as if that's a way to kosher the wig. Like they know where the source of the hair is by smelling the hair. Mashiach. They're a little Mashiach of the hair business. They smell the hair. Oh, no, no, this is Indian hair. Oh, no, no, this is Malaysian hair. Oh, no, this is Brazilian hair. This is European hair. It's garbage hair. You have no idea what you're smelling. Mamash making the whole system into a big joke. It's Mamash a big joke. You can actually go on um, websites, third-party websites, direct websites. You could go on uh, websites from China, like for example, Alibaba. Go to Alibaba and type in wigs. You'll see a bunch of wigs, factories, offering wigs. Kosher, non-kosher, we can make it kosher for you, we can all make it kosher, they already have a certificate on there, we can print whatever you want it to say. Custom-made kosher. The Chinese guy doesn't know what kosher means. It's mamash a joke, it's mitzvah from the satan. So now this report came out. So you think people would wake up. This is will shake people up. And of course, some people are shaking up, some people are figuring out, okay, i got to take this thing off. i got to change, i got to do this, i got to do this. What am I going to do? Who are we getting a war from? Rabbis. No, no, no. He, he created this report. And a guy tell me yesterday, he goes, yeah, I brought this to my rabbi. And he's like, ah, don't listen to this, your own Reuven. He probably he forged the signatures. I forged the signatures. 
First of all, I didn't write the report. Second of all, my like, why would I forge the signature? What benefit do I have in forging a signature? Do I have like a wig store that I'm shorting on a, as a stock? The wig manufacturer I'm betting against their company? Do I have a factory that's making uh, the, uh, the hats that I'm going to sell to all the women that throw away their wigs? What benefit do I have out of, out of making this up? The best part about it, this Rasham Erusha rabbi, he could have easily picked up the phone, saw the name of these rabbis. He's like, Dole these are not like uh, no-name rabbis. Call the rabbi. Rav Ozner, yes. Did you sign this letter? Yes. Okay, thank you. What does he do? Automatically assume that I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a this, I'm a that. Why? Why? What was his reason? He says, why didn't they come to me and tell me that they're saying it's no? Like he's some, he's some big, uh, big mekubal or something. Why didn't these big, how come I didn't hear about it until now? How come this, uh, your own Reuven is uh, telling us? Why didn't they put scheme send it to me also? Like who, this is the first principle. This is the first principle. You have no humility. Your Torah is not worth anything. And you could see it from the Ma'asim. What's the Ma'asim? Instead of verifying, instead of investigating, instead of checking, what does he assume? He assumes I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this. And what does he, he starts saying Rechilut on me. Lashonara, Rechilut, bad name, everything. No, not YouTube. He says it to his Keila. To his Keila, and it's not, this is verified. This is one, and then another, and then another. Another guy, a woman wants to set up a lecture tour for me in a different country. She goes to the rabbi, says, yeah, I want to bring Rabbi Yeron Reuven, he's going to help, he did, da, 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 da. people are motivated by his lectures, do tshuva. No, 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 don't bring him. He says bad things about wigs. He says bad things about wigs, don't bring him here, don't bring him to the whole kilai, create a machloket. What's the common denominator? The common denominator is that all of these rabbis, why doesn't anybody else talk about it really? They're all nagua. All of their wives wear wigs. All of their wives wear wigs and they don't want to go home and tell, Hani, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have to put a mitpachat on. Why? They're scared the wife's going to throw them out of the house. Chas for shalom, they're going to tell them some, uh, some emet. The board of directors, wife, or her herself, if there's a woman on the board of directors of the synagogue, Donates a million dollars a year, donates 10,000 a year, donates 100,000 a year, whatever it donates. She wears a wig up to her ankles. Rabbi can't tell the uh, board of directors, hey, uh, Mr. Board of Directors, your wife uh, has to take off a wig. They're all nagua, they're all scared. Care bear rabbis. Care, mamas care bear rabbis. Why? It all started with a mitzvah from the Satan. What mitzvah you're making? You're trying to make something that's tameh into tao. Never going to happen. So this report, Bezad Hashem, it helps people. People listen. But the reality is, I'm not going to be surprised if some people continue to make different excuses. No, it's this. and No, they're going to make different excuses just to justify their wicked behavior of continuing to wear wigs with Abu Dazara. Even the manufacturer, there's actually a manufacturer in there, says, yes, these wigs come from Abu Dazara. 
Verify. The manufacturer is saying it. Indian guy. Indian guy in the report. Indian guy says, yes, it's coming from Abu Dazara. I actually have a new student. He sends it to me. He goes, yeah, of course. What did you guys think? Where did you guys think we get the hair from? It's all Abu Dazara. He's an Indian guy. He's looking to convert to Judaism. He sends a text in the group. He says, yes, of course. I never realized. Yeah, of course it's not allowed. It's all Abu Dazara. People from India are saying it's Abu Dazara. Who are you, little Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Rabbi, whatever you are? You're going to say it's not Abu Dazara? The manufacturer is saying it's Abu Dazara. The only thing you know, only thing that's left is the people are doing Abu Dazara. I said, no, they don't mean it. They don't mean it. They don't mean it's really Abu Dazara. That's actually what somebody wrote. In 2005, a report came out going against it, going against Rav Yashiv. Rav Yashiv, he said it's Abu Dazara. They ran a report against them where they say, no, 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 the people that are going to the temples, they don't mean for it to be Abu Dazara. And what's the proof that they don't mean? Proof is, they're not cutting their hair in front of the idol himself. They're doing it in a separate section of the temple. Mamash, they're creating Tameh Betoch Tameh. There's impure garbage inside impure garbage. An entire nation. Satan is very smart. Satan is very smart. So you see, this is a mitzvah from the Satan. I'll give you another mitzvah from the Satan. This mitzvah is something that's mamash chaval. There are certain congregations that got to a lot of money in previous generation. And because when a man has a lot of money, women want to marry him. Even if they don't like him, all of a sudden he's smart, he's good-looking, he's smart, he's uh, good-looking, he's smart, he's good-looking, and what else? He's funny too. And Sadiq. So what happened? So a certain Kilot had a lot of money, and unfortunately, not a lot of Yirat Shemaim. So not all the members had Yirat Shemaim. And uh, they started marrying Goyot. So they, in order, they weren't welcome in the, in the community. So the community said, listen, you have to convert them. So we convert, but it will be fake converts. Fake converts. So after the rabbis, the holy rabbis, of these very same congregations, said this is becoming a serious problem. There's too many fake converts. We're making a takana. We're making a new law. We're not accepting converts anymore. Not accepting converts. Why? We continue like this. We're not going to know who's kasher, who's tameh, who's nothing. We're not going to know. So they made takana. That original mitzvah was fine. No problem. Temporary situation to fix things, to put it back into order. Where did it go wrong? It was never undone. It was never undone. So these same congregations continued. And after the holy rabbis died... The new rabbis made things much worse. Instead of being machmirim and stringent on Yirat Shamaim, instead of being machmirim and stringent on Limut Torah, instead of being stringent machmirim on modesty, what do they pick as the one mitzvah they're going to be the most stringent of all? We do not accept converts in our keilot. 
So they have signs at the entrance of their synagogue. No converts allowed. You know, like in the previous generation in America, they say no black people allowed. You have a bus for black people, you have a bus for white people. Here you have, this is in a secular world, this is in Abu Dazara world. You expect that from uh, people in Abu Dazara. You don't expect it from Am Israel. They have signs. We don't accept converts. Even more, if you are a convert and you come there, they kick you out. Not only do they accept, they kick you out. So a recent event that happened that made me want to vomit is one student went to a mikveh, Kedusha. Rabbi says, who are you? This is the first time she went to a mikveh. Who are you? Ta, 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 ta. You're a convert? Yes. Don't come here again. Kicks her out of the mikveh. Now if that wasn't bad enough, if you think about it, the most intimate part of a Jewish woman's life is the mikveh. If you want to destroy a Jewish woman, you want to destroy a Jewish neshama, you ruin this mitzvah for her. A woman comes. Everyone knows what happens after the mikveh. Everyone knows this woman is trying to be righteous. Everyone knows this is a very personal mitzvah. And this rasha merusha says, get out. Not welcome in our mikveh, because you're a convert. Now if this was not bad enough, my friends, it got worse recently. Another student went to a mikveh, took a shower in the mikveh to get ready for the mikveh. Ready for the mikveh. You have to be clean, you have to be ready. You can't just go, it's not a pool. Ready for the mikveh. With towel and all, about to go in. All of a sudden, the, 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 the woman that's handling the mikveh, all of a sudden she wants to be tzaddikah. Wait, wait. Are you a convert by any chance? What difference does it make? What, is the water going to be any more or less if I'm in it or not? All of a sudden you want to ask me about my background? What difference does it make, you wicked person? Who told you to ask such a question? All he's supposed to do is just make sure there's no chatzitzah, nothing is getting in the way of the mikveh. Shut up! You're not supposed to talk. Do your job, be a tzaddikah. If you're going to ask people about their personal life, go find another job. Work in a supermarket. She asked this woman if she's a convert. She happened to be a convert. She goes, hold on one second. The woman is dripping water. She goes to the rabbi of this congregation in Machshimam. And the rabbi says, no, get her out of here. They kicked the woman out of the mikveh after the shower. Now if this wasn't bad enough, my friends, let me explain to you how bad it is. If Aved Avu Dazara, someone that's an idol worshiper, idol worshiper, someone that's idol worshiper, wants to bring a korban, a sacrifice to the Beit HaMikdash. He's an idol worshiper, but he wants to bring a korban, 
to the Bet HaMikdash, to God's house, we accept it. Idol worship, want to bring Korban to the Bet HaMikdash, to God's house, we accept it. But Jews are not going to accept another Jew to go into the Mikveh. If that doesn't boil your blood, you're probably not Jewish. And they think this is a mitzvah. Are you surprised we have so many natural disasters? Are you surprised we have so much suffering? We think that kicking out a righteous Jew that's mentioned to have special protection in the Torah 36 times, more than a natural born Jew. Hashem says, a Jew, I'm his father. A convert, an orphan, a widow, I'm the father and the mother. They're a higher level than a natural born Jew. The Rambam says, convert, you have to love the convert, not like a regular Jew. You have to love him like you love God. Alakha. Alakha. Mishneh Torah, Alakha. You have to love the convert like you love God, meaning more than a natural born Jew. And you're going to tell me you're not going to accept this convert to your mikveh? To your fancy schmancy mikveh with the water that God gave you? And you think this is a mitzvah? You think this is a mitzvah? If the Satan doesn't have his signature on that mikveh, I don't know if I'm a human being. 100% Satan is signing off on this and laughing his way to the bank. And we think we're doing mitzvot. Mitzvot. If Aved Avodah Zarah, you can accept this korban. Korban you can accept from an idol worshiper, but you don't accept a Jew that just gave up his whole life, her whole life, to go into your kilah, to pray with you, to go into your mikveh. You're not going to accept him because he's a convert. She's a convert. I'm surprised Hashem doesn't destroy the world just for such a thing. Last but not least, these very same Rabbanim aligned to God in His face every day, three times a day, no less. How? Tefillat Shmona Yisle. Tefillat Shmona Yisle. Tefillat Shmona Yisle says, Ala tzadikim ve'ala chasidim ve'al sherit amecha bet Yisrael ve'al pletat bet sofrem ve'al gerei atzedek ve'alenu ye'emun arachamecha Adonai Eloheinu it says, on the ones that have never sinned, the tzaddikim and the chassidim, the pious people, the remainder of your nation, the remainder of your scholars, the converts, the righteous converts, and then us, meaning us, wherever we are, we're below the converts. It's all levels of righteousness. Tzaddikim, highest. Chassidim, less. And so on and so forth. We, alenu, means us. We're the last. Before us, comes the converts. It says in Tefillat Shemunah, so you say three times a day, God give us mercy. God give us good reward. God give us a portion of this world, the next world. Give us something. How? How can you say this in God's face every day when you just kicked out the convert that's higher than you from the Bet Knesset, from the Mikveh. 
How? You're lying to God in His face. What will you do when the Mashiach comes? And He tells you to your face, I'm sorry, I can't accept you to Arzion, to the Mount, to Mount Zion. I can't accept you. Why? But for the, I'm, a, I'm a rabbi. I have a keilah. We learn Torah every day. Mashiach is going to tell you, I can't accept you, my friend. Because you're not my friend. You're my enemy. Why? But I kept Shabbat. I kept kosher. I kept mitzvot. I kept this. I kept that. I kept, I gave you a Torah. Why can't you accept me? Why can't you protect me? It's the end of times. There's atomic bombs on top of us. Why can't you protect me? And the Mashiach is going to tell you, because you rejected my grandmother. Ruth and Moaviyah, where was she? She was a convert. The Mashiach's grand-grandmother is a convert. You're going to tell him, no, no, you didn't accept my grandmother, she wasn't good enough to go in your mikveh. You're not good enough to go into Al-Tzion. Lying to God every day. If that's not a mitzvah from the Satan, what is? The truth, my friends, is if you have no humility, you have nothing. You think you're something, you think you're something special, you're wearing God's robe and pretending to be the king, you're worse than lost. You have to get to a point of realizing where you stand. Because that's the only way you can get the Yerat Shemaim. And if you don't have Yerat Shemaim, the one main treasure that Hashem has, the one main treasure that He's giving in your hands, other than Shabbat, you're not even using. You're going to show up to Rosh Hashanah empty-handed. You have nothing to show for it. Nothing. Why? You tell him I learned Torah. Great. I did mitzvot. Great. I kept Shabbat. Great. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did Okay, great. Did you fear God? Did you fear God? No. Answer is no. Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, page 32. You didn't fear God? Worth nothing to me. You continue to wear the wig, knowing that there's even a 1% chance, not 99.9%, 1% chance it's from idol worship. 1% chance it's from idol worship. You still put it on your head and you expect Hashem to respond to you? Not only we expect Hashem to respond to us. Do you remember what we read after Tefillat Shemunah After Tefillat Shemunah on uh, the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This is the Asariya Metshuva. 10 days that were supposed to do serious, serious Tshuva. But we don't ask Hashem for uh, small little things. You remember what we asked for? But not just the regular book of life. No, regular book of life is for the uh, regular people. We want to be written in the book of life like the tzaddikim, like the chassidim, like the... Yeah, it says, we sinned. But you write us in the book of the tzaddikim, of, the, of all the greatest people, that, of Moshe Rabbeinu. The same book as him we want to be. So we want Hashem to give us everything. Everything. While we're doing the mitzvot of the Satan. How? How? 
You're doing mitzvot, the Satan told you, go. Instead of giving money to the bride, all of a sudden you're thinking about the Beknesset. Instead of worrying about modesty, you're worrying about converts, not coming into Yeshua. You understand? It's time we all looked in the mirror and realized that there's not that much time left. Judgment Day is next week. Judgment Day is next week. If you haven't thought about it as a Judgment Day, it's time you thought about it. It's time we actually start taking things seriously. Who knows if we're going to be here for another year? At least you know that when you show up to Shemaim, you have something in that bag. You have a little Yad Shemaim. You have something to show for it. You lived here 20, 30, 50, 100 years, whatever. You have something. You brought something with you. You have Yad Shemaim. No Yad Shemaim? Nothing. Now as far as the questions here, I didn't answer many of them. I'll answer them briefly. In regards to the chutzpah, answering questions to other people uh, during a shiur. This also has to do with Yirat Shemaim. If you believe that whatever you're learning is God's word, you have to in essence treat it like it's God's word. So that means you have to pay full attention. If God himself was here talking to you, would you be texting somebody? Would you be calling somebody? Would you be socializing with somebody? No, you wouldn't be. So, trying to answer, for example, on the threads, I see a lot of times, people that are wicked, missionaries, and otherwise, come on the thread, and they try to say things. They curse me out, or they uh, talk about uh, their idol, J.C. Penny, or some other idol they made up for the week. And other people try to respond to them. This is a mitzvah from the Satan. Why? The Satan wants you to address them. Why? Because if you address them, you're not listening to the shiul. If you're not listening to the shiul, you're not doing tshuva. This is a mitzvah from the Satan. It's not a mitzvah from Shemaim. Why? Because you came under the shiul. Hashem wants you to watch the shiul for the shiul. He didn't, he didn't create you to answer this heretic. And then people say, okay, so why don't you block them? I say, you could block 500 of them, 500,000 more are going to show up. It's a waste of time. You came to the shiur, watch the shiur. Listen to the shiur. Take notes from the shiur. Let everybody else blow up. All these idol worshippers, let them blow up and die. It's a mitzvah to hate them. These minim, it's a mitzvah to hate them. Don't address them. Don't answer them. Let them write whatever. Let them continue typing whatever they want to type. Do you want to curse me? Baruch Hashem. Do you want to... Whatever they want to do, let them do it. Do not address them. Do not respond to them. Why? Because if you're doing that, you're not listening to Shul Torah. It's a waste of time. On top of it, on top of it, you could lead another person that's listening to Shul Torah. Oh, look, my friend is responding. Let me help him out. So now instead of you, now we just lost one student. Now we lost two students because the other guy wants to help you. Next thing you know, 500 people are answering this one heretic. No one's listening to the Shiul Torah. 
That's Misraf of Misakan. Next thing is, one second, let me just answer these questions. Unless it has something to do with this question. Yeah, go ahead. When? In the middle of a shiur? No, no, no. This is either corner by Jesus. Oh, am I? Then, yeah, it's a different story. We're not in the middle of a shiur Torah. We're not in the middle of a shiur Torah. Yeah, of course. You, uh, when someone, some heretic comes to you, you can always tell him, give him a CD, give him a shiur Torah that, uh, about, uh, I, you know, it's about Judaism and so on. Point him to Rabbi Singer, Rabbi Mizrahi, myself, Rabbi... Uh, 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 Zitron, who did a whole series about, uh, you know, about Christianity and how it's all completely false. No problem. Yeah, but in the middle of a shiur Torah, you have to make sure that you tread very carefully. Number one, because Satan wants to interfere, especially if it's a shiur Torah that could actually affect your neshama in a positive way. Number two, you have to honor, if somebody is teaching you real Torah, you have to honor them like you honor the Torah itself. So if Hashem Barach gave you a Torah, he says, this is my greatest creation. I looked at this Torah as a blueprint and I created the world from it. Now, Ravavadya was a living Sefer Torah. Therefore, him getting kavod was a mitzvah to give him kavod. Why? It's like you're giving him, it's giving kavod to the Torah. Anyone that teaches real Torah, you have to give him kavod because you're giving a Torah kavod, not them personally. So that's also why you have to tread very carefully when it comes to talking in the middle of a shiur Torah, walking out of shiur Torah, doing things like that because it's very, very important for people to, to know what's happening. So for example, when uh, some people that come to the shiur Torah, they tell me already ahead of time, listen, I'm going to leave early. I have to leave in the middle. It's best, if you know that you're going to leave before the shiur is over, it's best that you sit all the way in the back. Why? So the less people see you leave. Less people see you leave. Because if one person, let's say for example, the room is filled, there's 500 people, and then one guy that's very, very important, very important businessman, very important rabbi, he has his uh, toothache. He has to leave. He's not leaving because of the shiur Torah. He has a toothache. He has, I don't know, he has an appointment or something that's very important that he can't avoid. But he wanted to see the Shiur Torah. He should not sit in the front. He should not sit in the middle. He should sit all the way in the back when no one can see him when he leaves. And when he leaves, leave very quietly. Why? Because everyone can see, hey, look, this is our community leader. This is our rabbi. This is our gvil. This is our this, and he's leaving. If he's leaving, they don't know he has a dentist appointment. They don't know he has an appointment. They think he's saying this rabbi is pasul. He's uh, not good. So they can say, oh, if he doesn't listen to him, Next thing you know, you have 500 other people leaving. So the same concept goes with, you know, making comments on the internet. When you, uh, in the middle of the Shiur Torah, you start making comments. Other people will say, oh, look, it's more important to deal with the comments than the Shiur Torah. So that's not kvod for the Torah. It's not kvod for the rabbi teaching it. Now, as far as the Abu Dazarah people, we already answered that. It's... Very important to know which level these people are. If they're meaning, meaning if they actively look for Jews to get them to Christianity, to get them to Buddhism or some type of idol, other idol worship, they actively do it, stay away from them. Don't debate them, don't waste your time, stay away from them. If they're just innocent bystanders, they were born into it and they don't really realize that their whole life is 
complete nonsense, you know, they, they, their belief is nonsense, then you should try to help them. At the very least, you know, try to get them to uh, know enough about the real God of Israel to get them to become Noahides. Um, but that doesn't mean that you lower yourself to their standards in the sense of, you know, be starting to do what they do. You can't start eating non-kosher food for the sake of helping this guy become a Noahide or even to become a Jew. You can't do a mitzvah, uh, a avira for the sake of a mitzvah. So you have to know where you stand. You have to know also your own strength and your own knowledge. Usually, if you know them really well, it's best for you to bring somebody else to do it. Because most of the, your previous life, most of the people that you know are not going to want to listen to you. They always view you before you did tshuva, before you converted, before you became tzaddik or tzaddika. Uh, as far as meditation having anything to do with Abu Dazara, yes, there's a uh, common question about uh, uh, yoga. Is yoga Abu Dazara? And the answer is the root of it is Abu Dazara. Uh, rabbi Fengel from Israel, very famous rabbi in Israel, he was actually a yoga master, very, very famous in, uh, in that world before he did tshuva and became a very uh, well known rabbi. And he says himself, uh, that the root of all of it is 100% Avodah Zarah. So as far as yoga, yoga is very problematic. Now you can stretch, you can, uh, you know, you can exercise, but if it starts doing the sounds, these specific types of meditations and thoughts and certain, even certain positions that you take in yoga, you could have serious problem in your hands. So focus on traditional meditation, traditional uh, you know, exercise, you can do certain yoga moves as long as it's not yoga per se, as, as far as the ones that are connected to Abu Dazara. Um, there's plenty of kosher ways to exercise. You don't need to use yoga with all these sounds and, and things like that. Um, as far as the, uh, what is, what else, what else? Why, uh, why doesn't Hashem give us everything every day? I think I answered. The answer is simply said is because we don't deserve it. That's the answer. We, we are, each one of us has a serious problem or another. Some of us are better in one thing than the other. Some are worse than the other. Point being is that if we want everything, we have to do everything. If we're not doing everything, then obviously we're still going to be in this world. If we're already doing everything, then Hashem will just take us to Allah Abba and we can hang out with Rabbi Akiva and Moshe Rabbeinu. So, uh, and also because everything you want is not necessarily good for you. So that's another reason. But that's all logical. It's not, uh, you don't have to be a big genius to know this. Uh, last but not least, uh, the iced tea, eating, drinking iced tea that's not kosher. Um, this is a problem. Why? It's not necessarily just the iced tea that could potentially have flavoring made from beetles and other bugs. It's the problem is even more so than that. The problem is that you only realized, and this is a common problem, that sometimes people only realize to think about Hashem after it's too late. So many times I have uh, people, young kids especially, they send me a picture of wrappings of their food after they ate it. After they ate it, they say, oh, can, can I eat this? It doesn't have a kosher symbol on it. Like, well, you should have asked me before you ate it, not after you ate it. So what does this mean? This means that there's choser, there's, there's a lack of yirat shamayim. Because if you fear the sham, like you're supposed to, you would know that you're not even allowed to put anything in your mouth, not if it's just not kosher, if you don't even know the bracha. 
if you don't know the bracha, if you don't know the blessing of what of what blessing to do on what you're going to eat, you're not allowed to eat. Even more so if it's not kosher. So in today's world, in, uh, it's it's there's a lot of things that are not kosher in food. A lot. There's worms. There's beetles. There's all types of bugs. There's all types of different things that are against the Torah that you're not allowed to eat. Different pieces of animals. Um, there is a lot of food that seems innocent, but in reality, it's infested with things that Jews are not allowed to eat. You know, because again, keep in mind that in the uh, business world, they look to make money. They don't necessarily look to make you healthy or holy. So they're going to try to make money, or they do make money from literally every piece of anything that exists. So for example, it's not like the Jews where after we slaughter a, uh, you know, a cow, we take the meat, we take the skin, and pretty much the rest of it we throw out. No, in the, in the business world, they take all that other garbage that's left and they make stuff from it. They make stuff from it, not even just food. They make other things. They can make perfume, they can make uh, shampoos, they can make uh, different types of vitamins, different, uh, different flavorings, and so on. I mean, they take bugs and make them flavoring for juice. They take hair and make a different, different flavoring for food. They take all types of things. They even take raccoon urine, raccoon urine, and use that as flavoring for different types of food. Raccoon urine. Okay, they take anything, anything that anything that exists to try to make money out of it. Everything, everything. They'll do anything and everything. They'll take everything to make money out of it, especially if the rest of the world looks at it as a waste. Because that makes it more profitable if it's waste. If you look at something as waste, that means you think it's worthless. So if I tell you, listen, I'll pay you $3 for it. For you, it's 100% profit, $3. You take it, you give the guy $3, you add this thing, this ingredient to food, and you sell the food for $10, for $20, for $30. You now have built a very profitable business. You're not thinking about, is this healthy, is this good, is this holy, does God agree with this? None of that stuff goes. So you have to check kosher. You have to check what goes inside your body. You have to. You have to. There's a few other things I want to talk about, but I don't think, I think we're out of time. We already have, uh, Baruch Hashem, already a few hours in. Um, but there is a, uh, that Rasha that made a video about me. Uh, there is a lot that needs to be said about it. Not because of him, but just because it needs to be said in general about this whole uh, idolatry issue with Christianity and how many Jews are falling into it. Unfortunately, many Jews are falling into it to such a deep extent where they think that they're doing tshuva, they think that they're doing good, but in reality it's the Satan at the driver's wheel. Satan is making them feel holy, look holy, but in reality they're all rotten. Why? Because they're worshipping an idol. So this is one of the things we have to work on. Uh, so with other Shem, the next year that we do, maybe we'll talk about that. Um, unless you guys have any questions. Oh, okay, so as far as developments, developments on Bezat um, Hashem. So first and foremost, everyone that is just 
watching this shiur for the first time, there's a whole series of this specific type of shiur. There's 60, this is number 62 or 63. Um, you can watch the whole series. Each lecture is two to three hours, uh, and uh, it's different topic each time. Uh, go on our website, bezatashem.org, uh, B-E-E-Z-R-A-T-H-A-S-H-E-M.org. Um, or you can go to our YouTube channel, just type in my name, Yaron Uven, and you can watch the series, the series, Mamash has saved many, many neshamot, tshuva, giurim, and so on. Um, but we have a lot of really uh, amazing developments at Bezat Hashem. We have a couple of huge, huge projects that have been in the works for a long time. One of them is something I announced a couple of days ago, which is uh, the app. There's going to be a new application, Bezat Hashem, very soon, hopefully within uh, next week, uh, maximum two weeks, hopefully. I'm hoping it's very soon, right around Rosh Hashanah. We're going to have an app that we've been working on for almost nine months. Uh, coming out with all of my lectures in Hebrew and English, and also Rabbi Ephraim's uh, lectures, uh, and Bezot uh, Hashem, other people that we add to Bezot Hashem, other uh, righteous uh, speakers, you know, we'll add them to the uh, to the team. But this app is going to allow you to both watch it without going to any avenue, not going to YouTube, without going to anywhere else. But it's also going to allow you to do what we right currently use. Uh, SoundCloud for, which is you'll be able to just listen to it and do it while you do other things on your phone. But the biggest thing that I'm most excited about this app is that it's going to have live uh, questions and answers and testimonies. Meaning you're going to be able to ask questions on this app instead of texting me night and day, 24 hours a day, because no one considers you know sleep important in my life. So they want me to answer questions at all times. Uh, so you're going to actually have the ability to answer, uh, ask questions, and the answers will be posted. So other people can learn from your questions, plus testimonies. Anyone that's been influenced by the shiurim. Uh, anyone that did tshuva, anyone that converted, anyone that got married, anyone, you know, people got, they sent me a lot of mail and uh, emails and so on, telling me how these shiurim have actually helped their life. Now you can tell the world and motivate the world and in essence become a partner in Zikur Rabim, because people get motivated by real life stories. So you'll actually have an opportunity to make a video. Make a video of yourself saying what you think. Uh, anyone that wants to do it can actually already do it now and send me the videos and we'll upload it to the app. Make like a 30 second video. Don't make a whole Megillah of 10 minutes or 3 hours. 30 second video, minute video maximum. And you can send it to me and we'll upload it to the app. Of what your story is, how did the shulim help you? If you are if you're a Baal Tshuva, if you're a convert, if you're a from from birth, whatever. Or you could just write it. If you just want to, if you want to stay anonymous, you could write it and say stay anonymous, whatever you want. Uh, but this definitely helps us, and this is in essence another way that you can do kiru from your own story. So that's another thing. Another feature is going to be in the app, and there's also going to be other features in the app that are uh, new and innovative that I'm very excited about. We also have a uh, new website that's been in the works also for the last several months with all of these same features that we're going to have on the app, but on a website. And a few other things. So, Baruch Hashem, that's also in the works. We have about a half a dozen movies that are in the works. One of them has been in the works for over a year, and the Satan is doing everything he can to destroy it. We actually had it ready once. We had the movie ready, 
And then it got erased. Then it got erased. That movie was about wigs. That movie was about wigs. That movie was about wigs, and that got erased. The person that made it quit and erased the movie. No, no, not Rasha, no. Just uh, whatever, it's a uh, Yetzara, whatever it is. The point is, is that, listen, it's not easy to do Zikur Rabim. It's not easy to do Kiyuv. Satan pretty much treats you as a VIP client. Especially something like that. We have several other movies about other topics. Very, you know, you, you know I don't talk about uh, Care Bears. So every movie is an uh, atomic bomb of its own. And uh, there's a couple of light uh, things that we have that are more uh, encouraging, but in, in general, every movie is an atomic bomb to the neshama to get you guys to wake up. So, Baruch Hashem, we have uh, Team Hashem working on movies. We also have a uh, plan, Bezad Hashem, we're hoping if, uh, you know, to, to do a few other things as far as CDs and uh, as far as expansion, a lecture tour, but we need, uh, we need the merit. We need the merit from Shemaim because the merit, once you have the merit, the money doesn't become uh, an issue. When you don't have the merit, there's no money either. So one of the things that I have a, a dream of doing, Bezat Hashem, one day, is to open a Musar center, pretty much a building, where we learn Musar 24 hours a day. Like a kolel, but specific expertise, specific uh, focus on, on Musar. Called Bet Musar which the last time they had it was a couple of hundred years ago in the times of Rabbi Yisrael Salat. A Bet Musar. That's my goal is to open a Bet Musar, but not a uh, wherever. To open a Bet Musar, but for that we need some serious donators for all the things we do. All the movies, all the websites, all the CDs, all the packages. At the end of it all, it all requires your help. It all requires donations. So the guys that are still thinking whether they're going to give $50 or $100, you're not going to be part of that. Why? Because if you're still thinking whether it's going to be 50 or 100, you know, that means in Shemaim they're thinking whether you deserve to have merit bichlal. You know, so people that want to be partners with saving neshamot, you don't think twice. You take advantage of the opportunity. And that's the one thing that people can't get it around their head as far as what we do, what we do. Because when you say, listen, your own forged some report, I don't know, this stupid rabbi that said that uh, I, I, I created the Gedolea signatures. Or I talk about specific topics, don't listen to him. Like you think about, it, for what purpose do I have? I'm not making money from selling you hats. I'm not making money from selling you, I don't know, uh, scarves. I'm not in business. I'm not going against, I'm not betting against wig companies. I'm not getting any money from any company. I'm not even getting money from you. I don't charge for lectures. Uh, the CDs that people are supposed to sponsor, we give them for free. We gave 40,000 CDs for free in just the last couple of months. 40,000 CDs for free. We gave 5,000 uh, of those new flyers that are supposed to be $6 each. We gave 5,000 of them free for in two weeks, last two weeks. All free. I think I sold one for $6. In one of the, one of the, we don't say... It's supposed to be sold, but it's not sold. The Kiruv packages that are $95 to $200, depending on where we sell it, where we uh, deliver it, whether it's domestic or it's international, I think in the history of the organization, maybe we sold five. Maybe. The rest of them, hundreds of them, hundreds of them are given out for free. Free. 
whether you're in Alaska or in Australia or in America or wherever, you need Kiruv, we have a package, it's on the way. We're not worried about money. Why? Listen, it's God's problem. So all of this is funded by people. How we survive? I have no idea. No idea. There's no salary. There's no fee for lectures. Even to go to lectures, people don't want to pay. Even like Moshe Rabbeinu says, even the donkey, the donkey they didn't pay me for. Which donkey? The donkey that I used to go to Mitzrayim, to go save them. They didn't even pay me for the donkey. The gas didn't pay me. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying it. So this is a not new thing. It's not a new thing. So, and the reason why we did it is because we listened to our rabbis. Our rabbis said, not allowed to let money get in the way of tshuva. So if, you tell, if I tell people, listen, I charge a thousand, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand to teach you Torah that's going to help you change your life. I just gave you all the reasons in the world to say no thank you. And in Shemaim, when everybody goes to the Bed Din, you know, tell them, listen, so did you keep Shabbat? No. Keep Tarat Mishpacha? No. Keep this, keep that, keep this, keep that? No. Why? But uh, Rabbi Yaron was in your neighborhood every week. Yeah, but uh, you want to charge $5,000 for a lecture. Oh, 5000 for a lecture? Okay, bring him up here. I have to go pay the bill for it. For what? For making $5,000? For making $10,000? That's what this Mishnah is about. You're not allowed to use the Torah to dig into the ground as a, as a, as a tool to make money. You want to donate? Donate. It's your privilege. One way or another, Hashem is going to pay the bills. How? It's his problem. I have no idea. Just like he made a miracle for us, Baruch Hashem, in Hurricane Irma, the entire neighborhood was affected. The Bet Knesset next to my house had a giant tree destroy their huge gate. Huge gate they had. Maybe it's given them a sign that they don't want anybody to go to this Bet Knesset anymore. I'm not really sure. But the uh, point is, huge tree destroyed this gate. There was uh, mamash, great trees falling everywhere. Some people lost power. Some this. Some, a tree fell right in front of our house also. Maybe they're telling us, don't leave the house, stay, learn Torah. You can translate anything any way, any way you want. But the point is, is that everyone was affected. We had one of the best Shabbats we've ever had since we moved in this community. Did not feel the hurricane at all. Nothing. One time, I think for like maybe, I don't know, three and a half seconds, we lost power and then it turned back on. T- nothing. So that's the thing. It's Hashem's business. It's Hashem's business. So that's, that's what you have to wish we can continue having the merit to make sure that Hashem runs His business the way He's running it. So, the app, the movies, the building Bezat Hashem, the website, the CDs, the posters, the lectures, the tours, all that stuff, it all costs money. You want to be a partner? You don't? Continue doing tshuva, continue watching, there's no obligation whatsoever, no hard feelings, don't make a difference. You do what you think is best. If you think it's better to fund Hanukkah parties and buy aliyot in your Bekneset, enjoy. You want to spend $5,000 buying an aliyah in your Bekneset on Yom Kippur? Enjoy. 
You want to spend $10,000 to buy a, uh, be a partner in Sefer Torah? Enjoy. You want to spend $20,000 sponsoring certain homeless people? Enjoy. Enjoy. You want to save Neshamot? So you have something to show up in Shemaim with? It's a different story. For that you have to have merit. For that you have to have merit. Any other questions? So in case uh, you don't come to the shield tomorrow, tomorrow she was down the street, in case you don't, Pesot Hashem, keep, keep an eye out on whether there's going to be a shiur next week. Next Tuesday, most likely not. Most likely this is the most likely this year. This year today is the last year of the year here. Um, and uh, Hashem, after after Shana, uh, after Yom Kippur, we'll see. I don't really know how long it's going to be. When we're going to do a shiur again? When not? But uh, just keep an eye. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. Follow the website. Continue texting me 60,000 times a day. And uh, I'll see you soon. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.